With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I will not vote for, and no senator should vote for, an individual nominated by any president who is not fully committed to fairness and impartiality toward every person who appears before them. In my view, such a philosophy is disqualifying. When President Obama appointed Sonia Sotomayor to be the Supreme Court Justice, her qualifications quickly got lost. Everything was focused on her race and her gender. So many white people were quick to just call it out as reverse racism. But that whole notion of reverse racism is really problematic, and here's why. First of all, it assumes that people of color are just underqualified and assumes that white people are entitled. Second, it also assumes that we don't have systemic racism, where we have a system that's full of inequalities. Just look at the facts. If you look at anything from infant mortality rates to life expectancy rates and everything in between, it's also racially skewed. That is systemic racism. Racism between individuals is really prejudice, and prejudice can go any direction. It can go forward, sideways, and especially backwards, but that's different from systemic racism, and the two can't be equated. Affirmative action is really designed to to make the system fair. It's to make up for a lot of the inherent inequities that are built into the system. Affirmative action is not reverse racism. In fact, it's remedying racism. So the bottom line is that the whole concept of reverse racism is really a way of just taking away attention from the big white elephant in the room, which is systemic racism. Context of white supremacy, gusty renegade, and justice. And for another program to share constructive information on racism, white supremacy, what it is, and how it works. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in to the broadcast. Uh, I hope that you are receiving constructive information uh, every time you tune in. I hope it's information that is useful, clears up confusion, uh, perhaps gives you some books to 
to read. I'm definitely uh, a supporter of reading. Um, and uh, gives you some, you know, things to think about in terms of what you want to do, how you want to go about replacing the system of racism immediately. Uh, again, we're fundraising for the duration of January 2011, uh, and since we are requesting uh, that folks invest to help us continue the effort, we will be broadcasting every day uh, for the month. Uh, so we'll be back tomorrow. Evening show. I will be back tomorrow, which will be Saturday, January the 22nd, uh, 6 p.m., uh, excuse me, 9 p.m. Eastern showtime, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, and 6 p.m. Pacific. Um, really looking forward to tomorrow's broadcast with Brother Polite. Um, <clears throat> in addition, uh, if you could please support the program, even if you cannot invest or if you don't want to pick up a book from the wish list, please uh, share links to the program, put it on your uh, Facebook page, you can tweet it, all that good stuff, names, put it on your social network. If you have a web page or a blog, uh, you can. Uh, they have a widget where you can put the player for the show up. You, they have so many options. You can put uh, an individual player if it's a specific episode, if you really liked uh, when Tim Wise was here, you can put a player for that specific program uh, or any of the other folks uh, who have been guests on the program. Uh, they have one that will play the most recent program. Uh, they have a lot of different options. So you can post the player. All that helps. It helps to get the word out if you think what we're doing here at the Cows is constructive. Uh, I want to hop right to uh, today's broadcast. Before I do, uh, definitely remind me, I told you all I'm trying to be, to do a better job um, around uh, checking the news and making sure that I'm ready to roll um, with regards to uh, what's happening in the news. And uh, there was a news report uh, about American Idol. We had just been talking about Top Model and all these different sorts of uh, television programs and uh, American Idol. They had Steven Tyler. He was making some comments, sexual comments uh, about a 16-year-old on the program. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't watch this show, but uh, I just thought it was really interesting. And uh, someone just uh, wrote a blog about it and uh, how they thought it was another example of pedophilia in the news. So make sure you remind me. I'll share once we're all done. Keeping my eyeball on the news. Uh, with that said, uh, we'll move to uh, our guest for today's program. Um, he is the director of the Midwest Office of the Applied Research Center and program director of the Racial Justice Leadership Action Network. Uh, he coordinated the National Erase Initiative, Expose Racism, and Advance School Excellence, and has authored several reports on race and equity issues. Uh, in addition to being white, um, Mr. Uh, Keller uh, has adopted a black male child. Uh, he wrote a really interesting article uh, about you know his transracial adoption experience. Um, it is linked in the description for this program. Uh, actually, the picture uh, for this program is linked. You can click the picture, uh, and uh, it'll take you right to the article. Uh, the title of the article is White Dad 
black son and raising kids in a colorblind world. Really interesting essay, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, discussing the article and exchanging views uh, on racism. Uh, I will double-check to see if our guest is with us, but uh, our guest for the program, Mr. Terry Kelleher, uh, and I'm not sure which line he would be on. Um, hmm. Nobody has a hand up, so I'm kind of confused. Uh, if Maybe he's not on the line. Um, could be just listeners. Let's see. Um, I guess if you're on the line, uh, Ms. Kelleher, Mr. Excuse me, Kelleher, if you could press one, that would be great. Then I would know which line you're on so I can get you on the program. I think we have them right there. Uh, Mr. Kelleher? Yep. Okay, outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us. Glad to have you on the line, sir. Thank you. I'm glad to be be, be here for the conversation. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, for folks, if they haven't read that article, which, again, is linked uh, right here in the description, you can just click the photo, and it will take you to the article at Color Lines. Uh, if you could give them a little bit of information uh, about what you do, um, what you do at Color Lines, and just you know, whatever you think would be helpful to understand for this program. Sure. Um, so I, I work uh, with the parent organization of Color Lines, um, which is the Applied Research Center, and we're a national racial justice think tank, and we uh, do a lot of work around journalism, policy issues, research, and leadership development. Um, basically, we try and inform people about issues of race, politics, and culture, and we also try to equip people with the uh, skills and the capacity to challenge uh, racism and to uh, advance racial equity. Um, and uh, our, our publication is called colorlines.com. Um, it's an online news site. It uh, features daily news about race, politics, and culture, and it uh, features a, a lot of different uh, writers and perspectives that often aren't carried uh, in the mainstream press. So it's a great source for uh, getting good information uh, about race issues and some good analysis and, uh, from some unique perspectives. And my role at the Applied Research Center is um, I'm a racial justice educator and program director. I work with organizations around the country that are trying to address systemic racism and help them uh, develop the, the analysis, the skills, the strategies to actually uh, move towards some proactive uh, action to, uh, to address racial equity. Wow, wow. And that was, uh, you said the organization is a national racial justice think tank. That's um, right. That organization again, the Applied Research Center. Um, wow, wow, very interesting. Um, we're going to get, I guess, more into that as we roll in the program. Um, before we get started, for folks, uh, hopefully they they're listening here at Ball Talk, so they've seen the photo. But in case they haven't, you are a white man. Is that accurate? That's right. Okay. Um, you also, uh, in your article, you also uh, classify yourself as gay. Is that accurate? Yep. Okay. Uh, this program, 
context of white supremacy. Uh, I have unfortunately concluded that we are in a global system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I use those two terms uh, interchangeably, uh, racism and white supremacy. I use the exact same definition for both terms. Uh, that definition is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you believe that such a system exists, and do you think that definition is accurate? Uh, I believe that there's a global system of racial inequality. I think a lot of the inequality um, can often occur without intentionality and malice. Some of it is definitely intentional and, and mal malicious, but um, I don't think that um, a lot of people are necessarily um, willing accomplices to trying to be uh, abusive um, or, or trying to subjugate others. I, I think that um, they're often naively uh, complicit through their, through their silence, through their inaction, um, and sometimes just through their naivete, they don't uh, choose to pay attention to issues of race, uh, particularly white people who think that uh, it's not their problem, so they don't uh, learn anything about it and they don't take responsibility for the inequalities. So basically I agree with the definition of the, the system of global inequality based on race, um, but I think I would disagree that it's all intentional or malicious or um, you know, consciously abusive. Hmm. That's interesting. I hope people who listen to the program consistently, you're supposed to be able to pick out trends. That is a major trend on this program. Uh, the majority of guests who have been on the broadcast, and uh, we are three away from broadcast number 300, the majority of folks have agreed with the definition, but there have been a significant number of people who have uh, said almost exactly what you just said about intentionality. And I roll out my speech. I guess I should have a codified response for this by now. Uh, I didn't say anything about intentionality. Uh, I didn't say that white people are doing this intentionally. What I said was that the white people who practice and maintain the global system of white supremacy are dedicated to doing so, which is a little different uh, from intent and intentionally uh, doing this. A little different. I think uh, you can be dedicated to something without necessarily being conscious uh, that you're doing it. Uh, and at the end of the day, all of this is really irrelevant because the system does exist. I think you said you agreed with that. The system does exist, and as a victim, of that system, uh, whether it's being done intentionally, whether it's being done unconsciously, it's here, and we need to be doing something about it. Uh, the result, in my opinion, the result is the same, regardless whether white people are doing this, uh, thinking about it every second of every day, or whether they don't really think about it at all, they're not really informed. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence that when white people do become informed, when people do make an effort to inform white people of the system, that they really have no interest in dismantling it. And 
they work against people who do try to dismantle it. So that just makes me conclude that the white people who practice this system are dedicated to it. Um, does that make logical sense, sir? It does. It does. And I, I think that uh, that is the case often. Those who even do um, come to understand the system are often so invested in it that they're unwilling to do anything to change it. Um, so I believe that uh, what is a more useful focus rather than, than looking at um, people's attitudes or intentions is to look at people's actions and impacts for those are really what matter the most. Um, whether it's intentional or not is actually not the main point. It's really what are the impacts of their actions and who's harmed and who's benefited um, by those impacts. Mm, I could not agree more, sir. I'm with you 110% uh, on that one, just looking at what's happening and what is the result of what happens specifically when we're talking about people, what are they doing, and what is the result of what they're doing. Um, before uh, before I pitch to my co-host, I did have one request. Um, I try to be uh, – I'm very much engaged in having constructive, courteous, challenging conversations uh, around racism, white supremacy, and I hope today will qualify. Hopefully we'll all be challenged and a little uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable uh, with the program, and I think that means we're doing constructive work. Um, one request that I have, the term FAIR, um, it was in the sound clip that I played where you were giving your commentary on reverse racism and uh, the logical breakdown of why we don't have reverse racism. We have people that are not willing to truthfully acknowledge the system of white supremacy. Uh, I think that term fair supports racism, white supremacy. Uh, we have a term that can be used to signify beauty, logic, uh, correctness. Uh, being valid, um, reasonable, uh, and I just don't – and white. Um, and I just think that it implies, in a not-so-subtle way, it, it relates, uh, it connects being white with being correct, being valid, being just, being beautiful. Uh, and at the exact same time, anyone who is not white uh, is not logical, is not valid, is not reasonable – is not beautiful, and I really have made a consistent effort to inform people of that connection and why I think we shouldn't use that term. We should try to use other words that don't have that racial connotation to support white supremacy. Um, does what I just said make sense, and, and would you be willing to not use the term fair? Uh, I'd like to say not use that term anymore at all when you discuss racism, white supremacy, or anything else because it supports racism, but at least not use it for this program. Um, I, I'm happy to um, go along with your guidelines. I don't quite understand um, your, um, you know, your your challenge of that term, um, but um, but I'm happy to, to to do my best to to go along with your your wishes on that. And I'll I'll certainly think about what you've uh, what you described there. Okay, um, I, I will be brief. I don't want to hog all the time, but uh, that. This is very important, so I will take 40 seconds to see if I can do a better job explaining. Um, you've heard some of the so-called fairy tales where they say uh, who's the fairest of them all, who is the most attractive of them all. Is that accurate? Sure. And, and okay. by fairness, if you're referring to it, the definition 
um, as it relates to beauty, um, I don't believe that was the the, the way I, I use the, the term fairness. I, it, it's also a term that is um, synonymous with justice, um, and, and that is the sense that I use it. Exactly. What I'm saying is the term is synonymous with justice and being white and being beautiful and being reasonable. And I'm saying that when you use that term, even though you say, uh, I'm using it for justice, you know, black people are not treated fairly. And you say, I mean, they're not treated justly. That's all well and dandy, but I guess I'm saying that subconsciously, consciously, because that term is also associated with being white, when you say black people are not being treated fairly, you really could say that black people are not being treated whitely. They're not being treated as though they are white, and it would uh-huh. still be accurate. That's what I mean about the close and intimate nature uh, of the word fair being related to white and justice and beauty and correctness. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. Justice, if you have some questions you would like to ask our guest, uh, your line is open. Uh, Please go right ahead. Um, it was a delay. We didn't, we didn't hear anything you just said, so if you want to rewind and start over again, please. Sorry about that. Uh, can I be heard? Yes. Oh, okay. Good morning, and um, I'm very, very tired. I just woke up. Preferably, I do not like to do shows in the morning. Afternoon and night is cool. Um, my first question I wanted to ask, uh, the guest is um, have you ever had a sexual intercourse with a non-white person? Uh, yes, I have. Why are you gay? Why? Um, yes. As far as I understand it, uh, I was... I believe I was born this way, and I don't believe I ever had a choice. Um, The choice I did have was whether to act upon it and whether to be out about it. But in terms of being gay or not being gay, I don't believe that was ever a choice for me. And I, I think it's probably comparable to most straight people where um, I doubt that most of them would consider their sexual orientation a choice. I believe most of them are pretty much hardwired that way. Do you think that all white people are gay? That all white people are gay? Um, yes. No, I don't. I think there's a, a wide range of variation among white people and of people of color. And people are gay, they're straight, they're bisexual, they're transgender, they're intersexual. They're, there's many other variations on people's gender and sexuality. Very interesting. I don't have any more questions. I don't have any more questions at this time. Uh, context. 
of white supremacy. Uh, before I hop into the article, very important, um, I support you. I uh, wrote a piece with some suggestions for how to deal with racism, white supremacy, um, I guess things that you've kind of learned as you have <clears throat> taken on this journey uh, adopting a black male child. Um, one of the things, no name calling, I support that wholeheartedly, and as you already shared on the program, focusing more on what people are doing and the result that that has, uh, specifically what white people are doing and the impact that that has on non-white people, victims of white supremacy. Um, I wanted to ask a very important question. Um, I think it's important for non-white people to understand that white people are doing things, that white people are responsible for the race, the system of white supremacy, and a tool that I use to, to kind of make sure that non-white people keep that in mind. Uh, I just ask white people, um, are you a racist? And the definition that I use, uh, a white person who consciously and or unconsciously, directly and or indirectly, mistreats someone because they are not white. Um, with that definition, are you a racist? I, I would say yes. Um, I would say that there's so much socialization that uh, I've taken in um, along, you know, in, in the public school system, in the communities, in the media, that um, unconsciously there's certainly racial bias that uh, that I harbor. Um, I do my best to try and become conscious of it and to counteract it when I am conscious of it, but I'm sure that there's many instances where I'm completely unconscious or still completely clueless about certain dynamics, um, and uh, I, I try and uh, commit myself to, to, to learning and to taking action when uh, when I am aware. <clears throat> Yes, ma'am. Um, can I just ask this one quick question really quick, and then can you go back with your questions? Help yourself. Okay. Um, when you were when you and Gus were speaking about the word fair earlier, um, you said uh, that it uh, refers to beauty. Um, do you mean white beauty or just beauty? Are you talking to me or the guest? Uh, the guest, because he was the one who used it. Um, I, I think that uh, the the host had used the term beauty, and then I had echoed that term. Uh, I I think that it's a. I don't I don't think uh, Gus uh, used the term beauty at all. Uh huh. And if if he didn't, then then I would be mistaken, but. Um, I, I understand the distinction he was making in the, the, the terminology, which was uh, uh, more of a reference to uh, the complexion of one's skin and that that can then be associated with some of the other meanings of that same word. So um, so I think that uh, I was trying to understand, you know, his association with that term as a, uh, a marker of one's uh, lightness of, of skin color. Okay, so you're saying that uh, you mean by white? I mean, do you mean by uh, beauty or white beauty? Can you please uh, pick one? Well, I I don't think that 
anyone's skin color is more beautiful than anyone else's. Um, I, I understand that that's not what the popular media tries to uh, instill in us, but uh, but my own notion of beauty is is not uh, uh, not about you know skin color. Okay. I did want to, uh, just in the interest of being correct, um, it's not my notion of the term fair. This is in the dictionary. Um, you can look this up, uh, any website, uh, you can get an Oxford dictionary that's not abridged. Um, you'll see all of the definitions that are associated with the term fair. If you get a quality dictionary, I suspect the term fair probably will take up a good page, maybe a half a page, uh, just defining all the different uses of the term. Uh, I'll just give you two really quick before I proceed. Uh, the first definition, how about this, free from bias, dishonesty, or injustice. Then if you keep going down, uh, I'm looking at dictionary.com. If you go all the way down to definition number 12, and there are more, uh, you get of a light hue, not dark, light. So that's what I'm saying. It's not my association. It's in the dictionary. Sure. Um, at any rate, um, the article uh, that you wrote, um, wow. Uh, it's at Color Lines. Again, make sure you can you can check it out. Um, white Dad, Black Son, and Raising Kids in a Colorblind World. And he has colorblind in quotes uh, for folks who haven't read the report. Um, and it's at colorlines.com. Again, if you're listening at Blog Talk Radio, you can just click the photograph of Mr. Kelleher and his son, and uh, it will take you directly to the article. If you click his name, it will take you to colorlines.com, and you can see all of the other articles that he has posted uh, at that website. So check them out. Um, but this report, um, can you talk to our listeners um, just the process when you made up your mind that you, I, I assume this was a conscious decision, to adopt a black male child. Can you kind of share some of, of some of your thoughts with us? Uh, sure. Um, there were a lot of um, considerations that went into that decision. Um, I looked at uh, a lot of the options, and um, I think I had to weigh both external factors um, about the different adoption um, options and about different parenting options and and um, to, to look at um, whether there was an option where you didn't um, reinforce a lot of uh, white supremacy and, and, and racism out there. And um, I think that uh, after reflecting on some of the external factors as well as reflecting on who I am and what I was prepared and committed to, to doing as a parent, um, I felt that uh, raising a African-American child uh, could be a good fit, um, and uh, that is what I chose to, uh, chose to do. I'm, I'm just reading. This is uh, from that article um, you wrote. Viewing me with suspicion is justifiable when you look at the big picture, where even well-intentioned white people still 
don't have the best track record for effectively dealing with, and I substitute it because I think the more accurate term would be racism, white supremacy, not white privilege. Um, that being the case, I am, I think you would agree logically, I am suspicious of you. You admitted to being a racist. We are in a system of white supremacy. I'm trying to understand how this, uh, an admitted racist white man who is also gay, adopting a black male child, how does that solve problems? How does that work against racism, white supremacy? Um, I think it's a good question, and, and again, I, I understand your suspicion and, and validate that. I think that um, a lot of white parents who adopt children of color go into it without having done a lot of thought or preparation around the dynamics of racism. And so many think that all they have to do is provide a loving, safe, secure, nurturing home, and the racism dynamic will just take care of itself. They can, uh, they believe, ignore it and um, try and just pretend it doesn't exist. Um, that is not the approach I took. In fact, um, I went in with my eyes as wide open as they could be about the realities of racism, knowing that there is a widespread system of inequity and discrimination and injustice based on race. And I was committed to taking on that challenge to address that, and that is something that I have worked most of my adult life on, is fighting injustices and addressing racism and poverty and things like that. I also felt that the fact that I am gay gave me some different sensitivities to some issues, even though the issue of sexual orientation and race are very different issues. They also share some similarities. Um, I think that people of color and gay people face a lot of prejudice and discrimination and a lot of hatred. And some of that is interpersonal prejudice and some of that is systemic discrimination and injustice. And through my own experience, I came to be aware of some of the ways that prejudice and discrimination operate, as well as some of the ways that privilege and power operate. So I bring some of those sensibilities into the, the work of, of parenting. And um, I, I know that it's a path and a journey that could be fraught with many problems, but at the same time I'm committed to addressing those issues as they come up and um, and have done that and, and will continue to do that. Hmm. Uh, context of white supremacy. Again, um, I should have said this earlier, but it's fine. I'm bringing it up now because it's also relevant now. It'll be relevant for the duration of the program. Uh, speaking with uh, Mr. Terry Kelleher, uh, admitted racist, white supremacist, 
a white man who has adopted a black male child, um, you said that, you know, you have uh, been infected with the disease of racism, white supremacy as a white person in a system of white supremacy and that you most likely still have unconscious uh, evidence of that programming uh, impacting how you think and how you uh, function. Uh, I suspect that you most likely uh, consciously at times uh, are practicing racism. I strongly suspect that to be the case. And even during this program, in fact, I would say specifically uh, comparing uh, so-called homosexuals to and what they, the way that they are treated to the way that non-white people, black people are treated within a system of white supremacy. I would say that would be one example of what I suspect could be conscious racism, white supremacy. Um, I did want to ask, at what age did you adopt this uh, this child? At what age did you did he come into your care legally? Uh, I believe it was uh, just before my 45th birthday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now that, I don't know. You, you all can pick. I was talking about the child, not you. Um, what age was the child when you adopted him legally? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, my my uh, my son was a, a newborn when I adopted him. Wow. I mean, how newborn? How many? Are we talking months, days? <laughs> what are we talking? Uh, I was outside the delivery room when he was born. Whoa! Wow! Wow! That is incredible. Wow! Did I mean? How did this come about? Did you? <laughs> Pardon? What? Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, um, I'm stunned. Uh, how long had you known his mother? Um, about three months prior to that, uh, I, I worked with a, an adoption agency. And I chose to do what's called an open adoption. That is where the adoptive parents or parent um, can come to know the the birth parent or parents. And um, the way that uh, I chose to to do this was that um, typically with open adoptions, the adoption agency will present a birth mother with options. So when a birth mother voluntarily chooses the option of adoption, they will often find an adoption agency or a service um, and get in touch with them, let them know about the pregnancy, and then request um, to to work with them on an adoption placement. And what... uh, the process is that the adoption agency then shows the birth mother different options for actual families that are interested in adopting uh, her child, or in the case of sometimes the father is involved, sometimes not. Um, so it may be the, the, the profile might be presented to, to two, two of the birth parents. Sometimes it's just a single mother, as in the case uh, with, with my child. Um, and um, in that case, um, the the birth mother reviewed different profiles, and she selected my profile, and the adoption agency then 
um, introduced us at a meeting at the adoption agency um, where we got to know each other and then we could decide from there whether we wanted to proceed with the adoption plan. And um, when, when we met, we hit it off very well, um, struck up a really good and close relationship, um, or at least a, you know, a friendship. And um, we, she decided to, to move forward with uh, having me uh, be the adoptive parent. I also chose a local adoption. I wanted the possibility of the, the, the child to have contact with the parent. Um, I wasn't too keen on like transnational adoptions or you know adoptions that occur over large distances because then the child and sometimes the birth parents um, don't have as much likelihood for uh, contact if that's what they choose to want to have. And I was very much interested in a situation where both the birth parents um, and the child could have the option for contact. And um, that is exactly the, uh, the way it has unfolded. Uh, we have a, a good relationship with the birth mother, and we see her um, whenever she um, wants to get together and when we're able to, to, to see her. Um, and my son knows exactly who she is, and uh, it's, it's like having a, a special aunt in his life. And I think the birth mother is very happy to know that her son um, is well taken care of and is developing well, and I think it uh, gives her a lot of satisfaction to know that she made a good choice for the placement of her child. Um, I'm just trying to process all this. <laughs> wow, I feel like a, a ton of bricks fell on me. Like, wow, okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> Do you think uh, in a system of white supremacy for a pregnant black female to willingly give her child to an admitted racist? Um, do you see anything incorrect, illogical about that? Well, the whole system of white supremacy is incorrect and illogical in some ways. So um, I think, therefore, every component of it could be dissected and you could find the fallacy and illogic uh, of, of all of it. Um, so I think that the fact that she was the one who chose the option of adoption, um, and she was the one who chose the, the, the family that she chose. Um, at least that gave her some agency in those decisions. Um, but I'm not naive to know that her decisions were, were limited, you know, based on her economic status. Um, you know, she... Uh, would have had a hard time raising another child, but the reality, you know, and the truth of it was she she really just wasn't uh, interested in raising another child. 
um, she already had some some children that she was raising, and um, she really had basically had enough of that. And um, but nor was she um, interested in terminating the pregnancy. Um, it gave her a lot of satisfaction to be able to um, to place a child for adoption and to be able to um, provide. Uh, something that another family was what was looking for which was you know a, a child and she was able to be part of that process um, so that gave her a sense of gratitude and and and, and meaning um, and uh, so I, I think that to answer your question you know again the the whole system is fraught with all kinds of problems and we have to figure out our best way to, to maneuver through it. And I think that, uh, you know, to try our best to do that with, with, with consciousness and with, with integrity is, is the challenge that, uh, that we face. And uh, I think that was what I was striving for, was to try and uh, figure out uh, a way to, to do that with, with some integrity. Hmm. From an admitted racist in a system dominated by white supremacy. Uh, I don't I don't believe you answered the question. If you did, I might have just missed it. Um, the question, do you think uh, a black female uh, voluntarily giving her child to an admitted racist, do you think um, that that is illogical? Do you think that there's something incorrect about that? Well, the way I answered the question was to, to say that um, I think that you could dissect just about any interaction in our society and, and say that I heard that there's something I heard that it was just so so I I, I, I would I, appreciate that when like you apply it to this so situation there there is again much you could find that you could criticize definitely yes um, but there, okay. at the same time there is also uh, many positive things as well. So I think that... Like what? Could I you think, give us an example of some of the positives of an admitted racist adopting sure. a black child? Okay. Yeah, I think the, the birth mother is, is very satisfied with the option she chose. Um, I think my son is uh, developing uh, very well and... Uh, has a, a pretty good life, um, and uh, so I think from from that perspective, um, I think that uh, there's a lot that has worked well about this arrangement. Um, you know, but again, I I think that there's there's a lot you can still critique about it, and um, that's that's okay to to be critical if, if that's uh, if that's what you want to uh, to do I, I have critiques myself of the whole uh, systems and arrangements and um, so um, I still think that um, those are some of the waters that we swim in you know for example I I have a lot of critiques about our public school systems and the curriculum and the tracking that goes on, the ability grouping that goes on, and the discipline that goes on and everything like that. At the same time, that's, uh, that is the institution that 
we we have to deal with a, a lot of times unless you know you can afford private uh, education or you know choose to go that route. But um, but there's all kinds of critiques about the public school system. Yet I still send my son to the public school system, um, and while he's in the public school system, I do what I can to see if I can you know try and make things more fair or to try and advocate. Oh, you used the word fair. Oh, you got me. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, Sorry about that. Oh, please continue. Please continue. Just that word fair. We got to be, you know, on our game about that. Yep. Yep. So um, I'll I'll continue to try and and, and not use it, but uh, that's a a new new thing for me. Mm. Wow. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I, I anticipated that I could have been I could have been uh, pretty boastful in saying I anticipated you were going to have some trouble with that because you use that term a lot that uh, and that term sticks out to me. If anybody, if you all want to know some of the things that Gus pays attention to, use of that word fair. I mean, alarms, all kinds of alarms go off, particularly if the person uses it a lot. Like if it's a white person and they consistently are saying fair. Um, yeah, <laughs> be on your game around those folks. Um, and I also wanted to point out, just paying attention to words, you said uh, you did an open adoption with his mother. You were there when he was born, your child, uh, your adopted uh, black male son. Um, and you said it's like he, he's still able to have contact with his biological mother and that it's like having a nice aunt. And I just thought that was uh Wow, <laughs> incredible, uh, particularly in the context of white supremacy. I know, at least according to my own research, uh, for many years, um, white people would not reference uh, black people black people with an official title. They wouldn't give them the respect of saying sir uh, or ma'am. Uh, they wouldn't give them those titles that was reserved for white people, racists, white supremacists. And one of the other ways they would address black people in addition to boy uh, and girl would be uncle and aunt. And I just thought that was interesting. Um, wow. Dorothy Roberts, remember she was here for past listeners, killing the black body and the attack on black motherhood. Um, not a mom, an aunt. I just thought that was very interesting. Um, wow. Just very interesting. Very interesting program all the way. Uh, again, our guest, Mr. Uh, Terry Kelleher, and I hope we are true to our word, uh, challenging, courteous, constructive dialogue uh, with a high level of suspicion, even with your own logic, a high level of suspicion. Um, you comment, you said from your perspective that your son, he's developing well and he has a good life. Uh, the situation, you know, obviously there are aspects of it that are not logical, not correct. We're in a system dominated by, you know, illogic and white supremacy. Um I mean, your perspective is that of an admitted racist. So do you have any outside means of gauging your son's progress um, and how he's developing? Well, I, I, I live in a, a very multiracial neighborhood. We go to a multiracial school. Um, we have all kinds of friends um, who are uh, of different races um, in uh, the, 
the, the class he's in and throughout most of his preschool and elementary school, um, he's he's been around a lot of other African Americans. Um, so um, I think that just the 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 acquaintances, the the um, the people in our daily lives, my coworkers, um, there's there's many people around me who. I am in conversation with and um, and who aren't afraid to hold me accountable uh, at times. So um, I I think that uh, I do have a, a network of of people who um, I trust and I you know I respect um, who I am in communication with around a lot of issues of race. Wow. Um, my co-host is 11. How old is your uh, adopted son now? Six. He's six? Mm-hmm. Wow, so young. Wow. He looks older in the picture. Um, yeah, we, we have had uh, six-year-olds on the program before. I would love uh, to have them on the program uh, at some point uh, with you. Um, just to uh, to hear from him, see how he feels. If you you said you, you talked with your son about racism, is that correct? Yes, we do talk a lot about racism. You, uh, I read one of the uh, reports where you were giving an explanation of you know you are classified as white, but your skin is not white. He is classified as black. Uh, his skin is brown. Uh, do you have other examples of things that you you know tell him about how racism, white supremacy works? Um, we talk about the, the history of the civil rights movement, the history of slavery. We talk about um, the abuse by police of people of color. We talk about the way that people with darker skin are often not treated fairly in work situations. Um, do you know what word you just said again? Uh, I, I, I do believe, I, I, now that you pointed out, yes, I think I used the adverb version of the word. Oh, I'm, I just want to point that out. Please. So you talk with him about how police do not, how police, uh, how enforcement officers uh, who are white mistreat non-white people. Um, other things you tell your son about racism? Adopted son? Um just in our normal course of events, we will talk about different, uh, you know, different things as as they come up. You know, I I I try and uh, normalize the whole conversation of racism, just as we talk about nature and we talk about you know other kinds of things in this world. I think that is part of the reality that uh, I have a responsibility to. Um, help him be able to interpret and uh, and, and navigate. Um, so uh, so we, we we make that part of our regular conversation. Does he know you're a racist? Uh, no, I don't think he he has an understanding of that. I think that um, you know that's a that's a little tougher of a concept for. Um, for someone of that age to grasp, um, I think the whole notion of um, implicit bias, um, which is, you know, another term for unconscious racism, I think that's 
still um, not even understood well by a lot of adults. Um, and I think um, only recently where there's a lot of new evidence-based research that's going on around the whole dynamic of implicit bias is that becoming more understood. And what's interesting and, and, and insidious about that whole dynamic of implicit bias is that um, because people of all races are being raised in a very racist society, that even people of color can have bias. It's not the same as the kind of racial bias that, that white people might have. But um, if you look at, uh, for example, um, the Harvard University has this whole project called uh, Project Implicit. It's a website where people can actually um, go to that website and you're presented with a series of images to which you have to respond by pushing different keys on your keyboard. And millions of people around the world have taken this implicit bias test, and they can actually give you a score, like whether you know you're, you're biased or or not. And what's interesting is that um, while it's predictable that a lot of white people would have implicit bias, it also shows that that people of color can have implicit bias as well about people of their own race and sometimes people of other races. Um, and, and that's where you get the dynamic of sometimes even a black cop might treat a person of color with more force or less respect than they might a white person. Or a teacher, it could be a, a teacher of color, could teach or could discipline a student of color more harshly than a white student because of some of the same forces of prejudice and racism and white supremacy that they have also been socialized in this society um, to, to internalize some of that. So um, I don't expect my son to understand that yet. Um, I think that um, different conversations, I have to figure out what's developmentally appropriate, um, what I think he's capable of, of understanding at each um, each point of his development, just as I do any other thing, you know, conversations um, about all kinds of things need to be developmentally appropriate. So, um, but I do try and err on the side of trying to not wait till it's too late to, to actually introduce information a little before I think he's ready for it, um, just to, to start normalizing um, his awareness of that um, and uh, so, so many things, you know, I, I, I do talk to him um, at a fairly early age, and I think that surprises Oh, man, that's third time. Uh-huh, thank you. I realize there's another meaning there, uh, other than the ones we've, we've just talked about. It's, it's uh, in, in the, the usage I just used it, it uh, it's, it's a different meaning than, than the um, it's it's more of a, a, a relative kind of uh, meaning. So that's a that's certainly a, a challenge with this word because uh, there are multiple meanings. <laughs> As I said, if you go to dictionary.com, uh, oh, you'll get past sixteen uh, definitions. I'm sure if you get a really 
expensive version, uh, it can get super high. Um, yeah, I've always get past 25. I said, if you get an unabridged Oxford English Dictionary and look up F-A-I-R fair, uh, I suspect you'll get a page or two of definitions. Uh, the main tool of the racists, white supremacists, is words, uh, deceptive use of words to confuse and harm their victims. This big tool right here, <laughs> that word, pay attention to that word fair. Um, very dangerous. Very damn. Make sure you don't miss that fair of a light hue, not dark, white, as in fair skin. Don't miss that one. Um I wanted to, yeah, with your adopted black child, um, I mean, just, yeah, all of all of what you just said, I feel like uh, could be you consciously practicing racism, white supremacy. Uh, as I said, we've had, you know, six-year-olds on the program, seven-year-olds on the program. Uh, my co-host, Justice, she started out here at 10. Uh, I don't think you need to get into implicit bias and all that. Uh, for individuals of any age to understand what racism, white supremacy is, and how it works. Um, as I said, we've had non-white children on the program repeatedly uh, who are your adopted son's age, and they clearly understand. System dominated by white people, set up to benefit them at all times, harm non-white people, especially black people. Got it. Be on the lookout for that happening You know, anywhere you go on the planet, all areas of activity, whether you're at the grocery uh, grocery store trying to get a job, uh, you get hurt, you need to get you know medical attention. Always looking out for people being harmed because they are not white, and white people getting the best of everything. It's real simple, um, and everything around you is going to support that idea that white is great, like the word fair, and non-white, especially dark, is not fair, not cool. All around you, um, I don't think it's it's that complicated. Uh, and I would love to have an opportunity to have you and your adopted son on the program. Um, we have non-white children. It would be great. In fact, I wouldn't even have to talk. I could invite some of our non-white children, and they could just have a discussion. Uh, we had I'll, I can send you the archive. We had a conversation with a group of non-white children ages 12, uh, 7, 6, and 11. And they discussed racism, white supremacy for an hour. They talked about Santa Claus. They talked about television programs uh, that have racism in it, uh, in them, uh, Disney movies. It was fantastic. Um, I can send you that. We would love to have your adopted son be a part of the discussion. Is that something uh, you'd be willing to do? Um, no. I, I actually don't think he's ready for that uh, conversation, uh, you know, in this kind of forum. So, um I, I wouldn't have him do that. I don't, you know, I don't know you, and I don't know, um, you know, I don't know your audience, and I, it's just not something I would, I would put a six-year-old in, in that mix. Um, so, no, I wouldn't do that. Okay. From the admitted racist, and I think I did say I could send you the program so that you could hear, but no worries. Um, Justice, do you have questions you would like to ask Mr. Kelleher? When when you talk to your black adopted child, do you say racism or white supremacy? I normally say racism. Um, I don't believe I've used the term white supremacy with him yet. Um, and, again, it's just more of a 
um, what I think that um, developmentally where he's at, I think that that term supremacy is probably a, a more complex term at this point um, for him. Um, so, but but we do use the word, word racism, and in the the way I use the term, um, it it is synonymous with white supremacy. Just uh, for listeners, is that um, I? It's best to uh, teach your child uh, yourself to uh, use terms: uh, white supremacy, racism, um, any term that you can think of, and. Uh, yeah, don't be afraid of um, just learning words. Mm-hmm. Was that a question? I'm sorry. You... No, that was a statement. I'm done. Sorry, no. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Uh, please, uh, you know, like I said, support the program. You can invest and you can post links to the program. I think we're getting very constructive uh, information. I hope sticking to it, challenging, constructive, and candid. Uh, please tweet the program, Facebook it, uh, share it with other non-white people um, if you think it's constructive. Um, as an admitted racist uh, who is also gay, um, I wanted to ask uh, in terms of the limit. I've had other individuals on the program who classify themselves as so-called homosexuals and uh, I try to figure out, you know, where where are the boundaries if uh, so-called homosexual behavior, if that's acceptable and everybody should be okay with that, where are we drawing the line at with regards to sexual conduct? Um, what, I'm just trying to get an understanding of what is, what's okay and what is not okay. Do we say the line is just at rape or, you know, if someone says I'm into bestiality, if they say I'm into uh, – polyandry, having a bunch of wives or a bunch of husbands, um, age of consent. I mean, just where where is the boundary for you? Um, I think that um, when there's consensual interactions that um, are not harmful to each other or others, and I think when there's honesty and integrity to those interactions, then um, I think those are acceptable. Um, but I'm sure there's all kinds of uh, gradations and exceptions, and and I, I think that, um, you know, it's difficult to, to draw lines, um, but I, I certainly think that... Um, you know, we we as a society have come up with um, some safeguards that make a lot of sense to to make sure that um, children are protected, um, and uh, to make sure that when there is um, abuse and when there's rape and things like that, that those are uh, effectively dealt with. Um, so. But I, I all I, I do believe that uh consensual and safe and honest relations between adults, uh whether they are uh heterosexual or homosexual relations, I, I think those are acceptable. 
Okay. I'm just trying to get an idea of safeguard where your safeguards are, just your perspective. Um, bestiality. If someone says, you know, I'm into, uh, I like this sheep over here, um, Matilda the sheep, she's great. It's not harming anyone. I'm not being harmed. Um, you know, I can offer my own consent. The animal's not being harmed. I'm not killing the animal or anything. We have a great relationship. Bestiality, is that okay? No worries there? No, I don't believe you can have a consensual interaction with a with an animal. So, no, it's not okay. Okay, so that's one safeguard. Uh, I could see people being upset around that, though, around the issue of consent and saying, you know, uh, if two individuals, a male and a female, or a male and a male, and a female and a female can say we're okay, why can't I say, you know, I'm okay with, you know, an animal? I can see some people arguing pretty vigorously against that, but okay. So bestiality is no. Uh, polyandry, having, you know, multiple wives or multiple husbands, is that is that okay if it's consensual? I don't believe so, but, um, you know, I... That's my opinion, but I don't believe so. Okay. So, uh, interesting. Have you have you paid attention to, in my opinion, um, the system of racism, and white supremacy? It has a has a long history of emasculating, effeminizing black males. Um, I'll just make that as a statement flat out. Uh, in your research as a part of the National Racial Justice think tank, uh, do you think that's an accurate statement? That it effeminizes black males? Yes, sir. The system of white supremacy has a history of effeminizing, emasculating black males. Yes, sir. Do you think that's true? Just to make sure I understand what you're asking, <coughs> you mean you, you, you think the system makes them seem more effeminate and de- less masculine more, or more right, masculine. Exactly. More masculine? Less masculine. Less, less masculine. masculine, more feminine. Yes. 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 That that it that the system has a history uh, of doing this to black males. Yes. Do you think that is a true statement? Um no. I, I think it's more the opposite. Um, the images that, that I see in the media um, tend to hyper-masculize um, often black men. Um, I think they, they are often portrayed as more dangerous, as more, um, more sexual, um, and I think uh, it would be just the opposite. And, and I think... Um, even, you know, sometimes um, the the kind of um, popularization of some types of um, rap and hip-hop music where they uh, um, commercialize and commodify the gangsterization of, of black men, um, I think, again, that's, that's sort of like this thug-like, hyper-masculine model that uh, they can have all the women in the world that they want, they can have all the weapons in the world that they want. Um, so I, I actually think that uh, it's just the opposite in my, uh, from my perspective from, from what you've described. But on the other hand, if you're talking about uh, effeminizing the black men by, by making them 
less powerful sort of in relationship to families. Um, I think that, um, again, systematically, um, men, black men um, are often like marginalized from what the mainstream sees as the the kind of um, model family that often involves a uh, monogamous heterosexual uh, unit with with kids um, all that uh, I think that um, there's there's often a lot of baggage that's put upon black men as if they don't have a productive and constructive role to to serve in in that family structure so um yeah that's how i see it hmm. i do see what you're talking about in terms of the uh, beastly uh hyper sexualized black male image i do see that um so I'm not arguing against that, but I'm saying uh, strongly asserting that I, I think there is uh, a pretty uh, weighty amount of evidence that would suggest that there is a long history of emasculating, uh, effeminizing black males, as well as what you uh, discussed. Um, just you know, to list off some examples, and you can tell me if these, if what I'm saying makes sense after I give examples. If you think these examples contradict what I'm saying, uh, I think there's you know an indisputable track record of lynchings and castrations, uh, which I would say is is I mean it doesn't get any more blatant than that in terms of decreasing masculinity uh, when you're removing someone's penis and or testicles. Um, the even in hip-hop music or rap music, whatever whatever term we're going to use, um, when you see or when I see names like uh, Little John, uh, Little, Little doesn't, in my, in my opinion, Little does not uh, give a connotation of manliness or manhood. And a John, uh, that term has a connotation of a pimp. Uh, I don't think of that as an example of manhood either. I uh, think of that as someone who degrades females, and I think that is tending towards emasculation, effeminization when, when there's a lot of degrading females, and I think that's what a lot of so-called hip-hop and rap music has become synonymous for, degrading uh, black females. Uh, some of the other names as well, too short, again, small, uh, minimizing uh, the black male figure, uh, television programs, uh, the sweet life of Cody Banks, uh, some of the uh, children uh, made that observation when they were on the program. You have a black male on that program who wears a dress. Uh, long history of that. Flip Wilson, back in the 70s, uh, he used to play a character, a character named Geraldine wearing a dress. Um, you have uh, Tyler Perry, half-billion-dollar enterprise, uh, where he's mostly in a dress, black male in a dress for his films. Martin Lawrence, he has a film coming out uh, next month uh, with two black males in a dress, and uh, that is no coincidence in my opinion. Uh, there are authors, uh, Mr. Khalid Patterson, uh, he did a book talking about the trend of having a black male in a dress for a major motion picture every February, Black History Month. Uh, and next month, Big Mamas, Martin Lawrence, two black males in a dress. That's for February 2011. Uh, My Princess Boy uh, has just been going around in the media quite a bit. Uh, young black male uh, in a dress. Um, 
I just see a lot of examples uh, of this. You even said during the conversation, your adopted child, uh, you got it, you got him, excuse me, directly from uh, his mother, no father figure. Uh, I would say the system has uh, has been doing this for a long time, even the uh, welfare and removal of the black father figure uh, in order for black females to get benefits, resources from white people. Uh, has anything that I just listed uh, contracted my st- contradicted, excuse me, my statement that uh, the system has a long track record of effeminizing, emasculating black males? Um, no, I, I understand what you're you're saying. I think that um, there's a lot of fear of powerful black men <clears throat> by white America, um, and so um, because of that fear, <clears throat> I think it uh, results in some of the kinds of um, portrayals and actions that you've just described. Okay. In my view, and again, I just want to read your paragraph. Viewing me with suspicion is justifiable when you look at the big picture. Where even well-intentioned white people still don't have the best track record for effectively dealing with racism, white supremacy. Again, I changed the last term from white privilege to racism, white supremacy. Um, In my view, logically speaking, I could see it being a part of the racist, white supremacist strategy for white people to adopt black children, non-white children, to further this process of ensuring we do not have powerful black males. Does that make sense? Not saying that you're doing it, just asking if the logic makes sense. The logic, sure, it makes sense. And I also think the logic is that um, my son will be a powerful black male someday. Said the admitted racist. Yep. Uh, Justice, do you have uh, some other questions you would like to ask? Uh, no, I do not have any at this time. Uh, the article, again, for folks, if you have not read it, uh, you should check it out. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it's If you're listening at Blog Talk Radio, uh, you can just click the photograph of Mr. Kelleher, and uh, it will take you right to it. Um, if you're not, uh, you can go to colorlines.com and just do a site search for Terry uh, Kelleher, and the last name is K-E-L-E-H-E-R, and uh, it will it should pop up. You'll get, in fact, you'll get to see all of his articles um, that he's written that are posted at colorlines.com. I um, want to hit the phone lines to see if anyone uh, has questions. Um, questions? Questions? Uh, please press one because there are a lot of people on the line. So, you know, if you have a question, just press one and I will get to you. Uh, person who called in 5301. 5301, do you have a question for Mr. Kelleher? And please, before you ask your question, uh, folks, if you're calling in, no speakerphone. It just adds a lot of distortion to the line. If you're listening um, at your computer, turn your computer volume down. 
I just want to preserve the quality of the broadcast. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Uh, And please, again, share the program. That would be super helpful. Uh, That's one way that you can make an investment uh, as often as possible. Uh, Share links to the program so we can increase the number of folks who are tuning in and hopefully becoming more informed about racism, white supremacy. All right, 5301, your line is open. Uh, Did you have a question for our guest? Yes, I do. And uh, I want to thank your guests for joining the Cows this this afternoon and sharing some information with us. Uh, I was listening to the interview, and I missed the portion, so I don't know if this question was answered, so forgive me if I'm being redundant. But uh, could you uh, uh, answer whether or not if you are currently or have you in the past been involved with a sexual relationship with a black male? Yes, I have. Okay. And how do you think that that has contributed to your desire to raise a black male child? Um, Well, I think that being in a relationship with a black male certainly opened my eyes further to many of the realities that black men face in their day-to-day lives. So I was uh, more attuned and became more attuned to a lot of dynamics and interactions that uh, uh, a black man faces, you know, in, in very mundane situations. Um, and, um, and I think some of those situations, you know, were certainly compounded when uh when we were together in public um and um i think that uh that uh if anything you know it just opened my my eyes a lot more to the realities that uh that i was dealing with and that uh people of color are dealing with so would would you say then that even though you witnessed secondhand the sort of a uh, victimization that a, that your black male partner had to endure, despite witnessing that secondhand, you still felt it necessary to adopt a black male child. I, I'm I'm trying to understand what the logic would be to why would a person voluntarily take on that added difficulty, a white person who is a beneficiary of white privilege. Uh, in in understanding that, why I would still proceed to adopt a black male? Yes. Um, um, well, I mean, one thing I didn't know whether the the, the baby who was born was going to be a, a male or a female. So, um, but but I think that um, again, I, I think that whether a black male is raised in a family of color uh, with black parents uh, or with white parents. Um, that child is still going to face all kinds of racism. Um, and um, even even some black children who are raised in black families aren't necessarily talking about racism uh, in a real active way or, or being prepared for, for how to deal with racism. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways that uh, – that, uh, families navigate these these things. I don't think that 
just because um, one has a white parent that uh, necessarily puts uh, a child who is black at a disadvantage. Um, in my case, I think that we're, um, we, we may be talking about race uh, more so than, than some of his, his classmates who are, who are black. Um, and uh, just, you know, hearing some of their comments and conversations, I, I think sometimes my son um, has some vocabulary and some understanding even some of his peers may not quite uh, have yet um, because, you know, they may not have had some of those conversations uh, at home yet. Um, so I'm not saying that um, my parenting is, is any better than anyone else's, but I am saying that I am deeply committed to addressing the issues of racism and equipping my son with some of the skills and consciousness that he's going to need to to help navigate this very complex world. Uh, hang tight. Uh, caller at 5301. Uh, I'm going to try to get some of the other folks, and uh, if we have time before the program wraps up, I will uh, get back to you. Uh, again, our guest, Mr. Terry Kelleher. Uh, he is the director of the Midwest Office of the Applied Research Center, uh, a national racial justice think tank. Um, person called in 5404. 5404, your line is open. Uh, please go right ahead. Hello. Uh, I wanted to ask the uh, Mr. Delahare if, uh, if was there a financial process involved in the adoption, and if so, did the mother of the child uh, benefit in any kind of way from that? Um, there is a financial uh, process to it, um, and no, the mother did not benefit um, in any way from that. Okay. Um, thank you, 5404. Uh, person, actually, before I get to the next caller, um, someone emailed a question in. Uh, thank you, Art Destiny. She's been a long-time listener. Um, her question, or actually, I guess there are two, is there anyone in your adopted son's life that he calls mom? I'm not following the logic on why the boy couldn't call his biological mom mom when there is no other uh, no other female in his home. Uh, she says it's a setup similar to how ancient Romans uh, whites socialized their male children. Uh, her next question. Uh, was the mother a teen mom or were drugs an issue? Uh, she says she asks because it would affect the mom's decision-making skills uh, in addition to her being a victim of racism. Uh, thank you for the questions. So um, I have a, a, a sister who uh, is very involved in my son's life. Um, I, I travel frequently for my job, and when I'm traveling, uh, my son stays with my sister and brother-in-law, and 
he often refers to my sister as mom. Um, he fully knows that she is his aunt, um, but he prefers to call her mom, which is fine with, with us. Um, and um, he refers to his birth mother as his birth mother. Um, so, um, and he's not confused. Um, he also has a godmother um, who's an African-American woman, um, and he has godfathers who are African-American. Um, and um, just like any family, um, kids kids learn who's who and who, who loves them and who cares for them. And um, so sometimes they come up with their own names, um, and sometimes they uh, they take the names you give them. But uh, um, so that's the that's the arrangement um, in terms of the mom question. Um, what was your second question? If you could remind me. The second question. Uh, uh, was the mother a teen mom oh, or drugs? Um, and the mother was not a teen mom, um, and uh, she um, she claims to have not uh, used drugs um, during the pregnancy. Um, do you suspect that was not true, and or uh, what about before the pregnancy? I don't know. I have no way of knowing. Interesting. Um, I just want to say I was I was reeling a little bit. Um, you said he calls your sister mom. Is that accurate? Because he stays with her frequently when you travel. Yep. Okay. I was just man. <laughs> you referenced the biological mom uh, as his nice aunt earlier in the program, and he calls his dad's sister, who would be his aunt. Mom, um, even though you said he does reference his biological mom as you know his biological mother, I was just uh, it was confusing me. <laughs> well, I, I said I said he thinks of her as sort of an aunt-like figure. I didn't say he calls her aunt because he doesn't. Right. right. He calls her by her first name, which is what she prefers. Okay, I'm just saying you did use that term. You said it's like having a nice aunt. Uh, yes, just, I did. You know, and I think it. that's how he thinks okay. of her. It's just a another like relative in his life um but but he knows that she is the one who carried him to to birth and she he he knows exactly her role uh in in his his birth and and currently in his life person who called in 8162 8162 your line is open greetings everyone it's a great show thanks guys Thanks, guest. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Thanks. I had a couple of questions real quick. Um, uh, First of all, I wanted to uh, tell your guest, Mr. Kelleher, that um, Gus is is excellent with the children, and I encourage you to listen to the show and also Justice. I'm sure your your son would be... um, he might enjoy talking to the other non-white children mm-hmm. that participate. So listen to the archive show and um, and determine for yourself. My question is, do you have um, a white family, and do you have a relationship with that family? 
Um, I do have a white family, uh, mostly white. I have a sister who's married to an African-American man, and um, their child is biracial, um, mm-hmm. black girl. Um, but most of my siblings uh, and my parents are white. And did you um, have you encountered any kind of racial attitudes from your white family? And what kinds of things did you do to contradict or correct uh, their attitudes or change their attitudes to keep them from harming your son? Um, fortunately, we were raised in a family that strongly believes in racial justice. Um, Even though I grew up in the white suburbs of Chicago, my parents fought for open housing and much to the uh, dismay of many of their own friends, um, they, uh, they were very active in trying to break open barriers um, for people of color. And my father was the head of the local human relations commission. And I remember on one occasion when I was just about nine years old, he got to um, introduce Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King at uh, our local college. Um, So we grew up in um, an environment where racism was not tolerated. Um, But again, that doesn't mean that people didn't have a lot of unconscious racism. Um, So I think that um, when my sister married an African-American man, that uh, also um, probably broke down a few more barriers in our family because I think we, um, you know, in getting to know his family and, um, you know, just beginning to normalize that dynamic of having people of color around our holiday dinner tables and, you know, things like that, that, that I think changed things even further for us, um, you know, and um, certainly when I brought my black boyfriend home to Thanksgiving dinner, um, you know, that I'm sure um, pushed people's um, minds a little wider open than they may have been. Um, So um, I think that I'm fortunate to have come from a a family that, uh, you know, believes pretty deeply in in racial justice and has been um, active in, in a lot of racial justice struggles. My sister's husband, the one who my uh, my son stays with, he's been working, uh, heading up a fair housing organization for more than 40 years, um, um, fighting racial discrimination and doing tests of um, when people try to get housing. Um, you know, often they do a what they sometimes call a sandwich test. They send a white person to look at uh, a house, and then they'll send a, a black person and then another white person um, of comparable income and background around the same time, and they'll routinely find that the black person was unable to uh, get uh, shown a property or um, it suddenly became unavailable. So a lot of his work has been dedicated to documenting discrimination and suing landlords and all that. So fortunately, our family um, has been, you know, a fairly safe and accepting place for my son to be. but. Um, but I also know that as he grows up and he becomes, you know, a middle-aged 
or a, a middle schooler or an adolescent or a, um, a teenager, um, he'll have a lot more questions about, you know, who are all these white folks sitting around this table with me and why and all that. So, um, so I expect that uh, there will be a lot of um, critique and a lot of challenging that uh, we'll still have to encounter. This is by no means a, an easy, rosy path to, to be going down. There's going to be all kinds of uh, further learning and changing that uh, will occur along the way. May I ask a follow-up question? Sure. What kinds of tools um, are you using or have you developed or have you found useful in helping your son um, develop a um, armor in the war against racism? And does your son witness you fighting racism and how? And I'll, I'll just listen to your answer. Thank you. Sure. Um, one of the communities we're connected to, it's an organization called PACT, P-A-C-T, PACTadopt.org. They have an annual um, camp for um, families that are raising kids of color, um, mostly white families, but also families of color as well, some black families who've adopted black kids, um, but mostly the kids are adopted. Um, but um, at that camp we go to in, in the summer, um, they very much talk about uh, racism and identity and white supremacy, and and they provide the kids with with some tools um, to have conversations with others. Um, for example, um, when I'm out in public with my son, there often are questions about uh, the nature of our relationship and questions about adoption and things like that. Um, and um, one of the things they, they worked with the kids last summer with was um, how to answer those questions and that uh, they, um, they have choices about the ways they answer those questions. They can um, choose to be um, educational if they want to educate people about adoption or about race. Um, they can choose to um, keep whatever they want private if they want to, if they see the question as intrusive or the questioner as intrusive, um, they have the right to keep whatever information they want private. So um, part of it is just teaching kids the skills, um, and a lot of those um, workshops are taught by adult adoptees of color who have been through the experience of adoption and have you know, been through the experience of, of racism as, as both a young person and as adult. Um, so those are that's an example of the the kinds of skills um and then in terms of whether he sees me fighting um racism yes he he comes to school board meetings sometimes with me when I'm challenging our superintendent he uh he comes to rallies with me when we're protesting things um he 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 sees when I'm writing articles he's been to some trainings that I do so um so he knows that uh a lot of what my work is about is about fighting racism I just want to throw this in so you all can think about the sincerity of white people who allege to be working against racism. Uh, Mr. Kelleher uh, said he's taken his son to rallies, adopted son to rallies about racism, I presume, not willing to have his son talk on the telephone to us about racism. Come to your own conclusions. A uh, person who dialed in uh, 80 Six seven 
8067. Did you have a question for Mr. Kelleher? Uh, yes. Can I be heard? Uh, yes. Hello? Uh, yes, yes I wanted, um, well, part of the issues that I see, um, especially in our community, is that uh, people of color have a big problem um, holding not just white people, but people accountable across the board. So I had a question for your guest as far as accountability. I want to know if within, you know, all of his efforts towards racism, if he teaches his adopted son um, the accountability of whites and his per- his own personal account- accountability in this, even though, you know, of course he was not there hundreds of years ago shipping people here, I would like to know if he teaches his personal accountability along with all white people's accountability in this entire struggle. Well, it's a complicated question because, um, you know, though though I said earlier in the program that I believe that I am a racist um, and, and that I, I do have a lot of unconscious bias um, and, um, you know, the, as the host mentioned, there, there's probably even some conscious bias as well. Um, I think that... Um, I also have to make my son feel safe, and so um, to to walk around the house telling him I'm a racist I don't think would be a constructive dynamic. Um, so, so that's not the kind of conversation um, I would have at this point with him. Um, but I do um, make sure that our social circles and our political circles include a lot of people of color and um, I'm pretty public and open about the decisions I've made and the actions I take and I've put those out to public scrutiny just as my willingness to be on this call um, and my and my writing the article that I did and putting that out to you know thousands and thousands of people who've read it and shared it um, that's part of the way I am accountable is that um, I, um, I'm open about my actions and my decisions. Um, um, but I also know that um, at the same time, that's the way I choose to live my life. I choose to, to be open and to, um, to be sort of a, to be a fighter for justice, to be an activist. I don't know if that's the same kind of life my son wants. Um, so, you know, I have to um I have to make sure that I'm sensitive to to where he's at with things and um you know, when he wants to go to something, I'll explain what it is and if he wants to do it, we'll do it and if he doesn't, you know, we won't do it. But uh um but I have to recognize that he's in a different place, you know, and and may in the future be in a you know, he could be in a totally different place than I am around social justice and racial justice and activism and things like that or you know we may be right right on the same page but uh we'll have to see what uh what what that brings uh in the future um thank you uh for your response um i did want to clarify and just very hang, quickly hang give my reason uh hang tight uh one second please call in. thank you um i wanted to make sure because we had a lot of people that called so i wanted to make sure that i 
got some of the other folks that dialed in. Uh, person who called in from a blocked number. Uh, your line is open. Person who called in from a blocked number. Yes, greetings and uh, good afternoon to everyone. Uh, I would like to ask, for the first question that I have is uh, to the guest is, do you think your adopted son will grow up to be white-identified or succumb to white identification? The second question that I have is, do you teach your adopted son about the bold realities of racism, white supremacy? If so, how do you do this? If not, why not? The third question that I have is, do you teach your adopted son about the history of the black diaspora? Um, diaspora. The fourth question that I have is what examples of human genius have you taught your adopted son about? The fifth question that I have is, do you think your your son, your adopted son will grow up to be a homosexual, a homosexual and or effeminized? The sixth and last question. Hey, oh, oh, hang, hang tight, hang tight. We're going to stop at five because we have a lot of people on the line. Okay. Um, Mr. Uh, Kelleher, do you want to respond to those five? Sure, if I can remember them all. Uh, first of all, no, I don't think my son will be white identified. He's, he, he knows very much that he's black, that I'm white, and uh, he, he refers to himself as black and can articulate the fact that, uh, you know, I'm white and he's black and we're different and all that. So, no, I don't think he will be white identified. Um, and... Um, how do I teach them about the bold realities of white supremacy? Again, I think I answered that question earlier. In our day-to-day -day lives, when I see unfairness or think that it might be useful to point out um, unfairness. You said I fairness said again. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good job, Justice. Thank you. Um, so when I when I see injustice uh, or or see the potential for it, I, I try and prepare them for that. So I've certainly had many conversations with him about the role of police and in, in how they often racially profile people of color and punish them more harshly. Um, so he, he knows that he needs to have his guard up around police because um, they hold all the power and they, they can certainly do a lot of harm, but, you know, they also can protect and do good. But, uh, but many of them, um, you know, can be very biased, and he needs to be aware of that. Um, as far as the history of the black diaspora, um, We've talked um, more about um, some of the, a little about the, like the civil rights movement in the U.S. about the system of slavery. We certainly have conversations around Kwanzaa. I take them to the Malcolm X uh, Kwanzaa celebration, you know, every year, and we have um, we, we we have conversations about different uh, people, um, you know, like Ella Baker and Rosa Parks, uh, um, who uh, were important. Uh, in, in uh, you know, the civil rights movement. So he's aware of some of um, those folks. But, you know, I think, again, as he gets older, I think, um, you know, history will, will become more important. But for a six-year-old, you know, there's, um, there, there's things we, we, we certainly have a number of books that we've read about uh, black, uh, you know, sports players and, you know, things like that. But, um, but certainly he he's, doesn't have a, a big awareness of, of history yet. Um, and there was 
I'm trying to remember your fourth question about uh, have I given them examples of human genius? Um, yes, uh, like uh, like a lot of the books we get from the library are about um, uh, a number of um, black you know musicians and artists and sports figures you know so he can see himself reflected in, in different people. Um, and when, when he grows up, um, you ask, will he be uh, homosexual or effeminate? Um, I doubt it. Um, if you um, see my son, he's one of the uh, tougher kids around, and he's very good in sports, and he's, um, he doesn't fit that uh, effeminate stereotype. But, um, but he doesn't know, nor I, I know, what his sexual orientation will be. We, we, we've had conversations about that um, he understands sexual orientation. He understands transgender people. Um, he understands race and biracial people. So um, I think he has a, a wide awareness of the, the, the variation of human beings. And, um, and I think that um, he, he also knows that, um, you know, even parts of himself he, he doesn't fully understand or know yet, um, but those will unfold as we go along. And, uh, you know, when I ask him, he thinks he's straight, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, um, who knows? So, uh, but I, I don't think that uh, he, he or anyone would, uh, would characterize him at this point as effeminate. Uh, I'm just contrasting again. Um, you said your son understands transgender people at age six, but it might be difficult for him to grasp the concept of white supremacy. That's uh, hmm. uh, a person who called in from a blocked number, um, other person, different person from a blocked number. Did you have a question for Mr. Kelleher, different person from a blocked number? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Greetings to you, Gus, Justice, and to the guest. <clears throat> My question that I have for for the guest is this. Since since this guest knew that embarking on this lifestyle he would not be able to reproduce and have children, does he believe it's grossly unfair for this child to bring this child Yeah, you're using the term fair. Gosh, it's leaking. Oh. It's grossly inappropriate to bring this child, especially a black child that you said you know from your past dating experience with black males and how society will treat them, do you think it's, it would be grossly unjust of you to bring this black boy into a situation like this, being raised by a parent that's transgender, homosexual, or whatever the lifestyle that you were in? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think it's unfair. Um, but, again, if you want to disagree with me, that's fine. Um, I, nor do I think that homosexuality or heterosexuality is necessarily a lifestyle. I think those are just um, a part of who a person is. Um, so um, homosexuals don't have any more of a lifestyle than heterosexuals do. Um, you know, that's, that's often just a way of sort of um, minimizing their whole humanness. So, um, no, I, I actually think that my son will end up with a, a pretty – deep and wide sensibility of a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different kinds of um, uh, dynamics uh, to the, the human condition and to our society. So um, I, don't, I don't see it as a disadvantage. I have many uh, friends who are raising 
um, many lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender friends who are raising children, and, and their children are um, are just as healthy as, as any children. You didn't answer the question, Gus. If, if, what I was trying to get you to understand is that you understand as a person who is involved in a same-sex relationship, you would not be able to reproduce. But yet still you think it was necessary for you to develop your parental skills by adopting this child of a different ethnicity to bring him on to raise this child. That is what I was trying to get you to understand. You want me to understand that you think that that's... No, I was trying to get you to to comprehend. What I was saying is that you know you would never be able to reproduce. Same sex do not reproduce. Biologically, right. yeah. But yet, still, you went out. You in with the understanding that you would still like to be a parent and right. bring a child into that relationship, right? Not knowing or not comprehending that perhaps this child, I could potentially damage this child by exposing them to certain lifestyles that is not normal. That the majority of society does not look upon as being normal. Well, again, it's a matter of opinion. You, it, it may be damaging to him, but it, it, it may not be. Um, so I, I think that um, I don't think it will be. Um, but um, you know, the jury's still out. It, it may be the hardest thing in the world for him to, to navigate uh, all of this. Uh, he may be mocked for for having a gay dad, um, and he probably will be by some people. But I also think that he will grow up with um, some deeper understandings than than many people will, because he's had to deal with issues of race, issues of adoption, issues of sexuality in a firsthand way that that many kids may not have that experience. Um, and um, through that experience, I think he will. Uh, develop an appreciation for the diversity of, of human beings. And uh, my guess is that he will be more understanding and respectful of a broader array of people than, than many folks in this society are. Hmm. Even white people, I suspect. Even white people. Yep. Um, the person who called in three three five eight three three five eight. Did you have a question for Mr. Kelleher? Uh yes, I did. Thank you, Hotel uh, Sir. I didn't. I'm not privy to the, if you've already answered this question or not. But what I wanted to know is um, from the previous caller's question was similar to mine, but I didn't hear why you chose a black child or a child of a different ethnicity. I mean, you didn't choose a, a white child. And my second question, how come you didn't choose to make a child with your, of your own seed? That's, that's, those are two questions. Um, sure. Um, so, uh, again, it was not a, an easy and as to why I chose to adopt a black child, um, but um, I did think that um, there may be some um, 
some insights and consciousness and awareness and commitment that I could bring to that kind of arrangement. Um, and and um, so uh, that is what I chose to do. Um, I, I looked at um, a lot of the statistics and looked at what kind of kids were um, in foster care the longest and who was moved around the most and everything like that. And um, to me, it made sense that there was uh, a, an availability of a lot of black kids who often were not treated well by the, the public welfare system or the social, um, you know, supports systems that we have. And, um, and so I just gravitated more towards um, to, um, you know, adopt someone with, with some of those needs that uh, a white kid um, might not have. Um, I looked at the competition that there was for white kids, and that sort of turned me off. Um, there was a, a lot of agencies that wouldn't even place kids of color. Um, they only dealt exclusively with white children, um, and I didn't really want to have anything to do with those kind of adoption agencies. So there were a number of factors that, that went into um, why I chose that. Um, and uh, I can't remember your second question. Um, let me see. The oh, I don't see him on the line. I was gonna open this line back. Oh, three three five. Your line is open. You want to ask that second question one more time? Uh, yes, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, the second question was, uh, why didn't you choose uh, to have a child of uh, natural means? Oh, you know, I considered that. Um, there are different ways to do that. You can you can be a sperm donor. You could you can even get a surrogate to carry your kid and all that. None of that made sense to me. Um, there's already kids who are in need of uh, a family, kids who are um, either already born or, or soon to be born, and um, that didn't make sense to me. I wasn't strongly attached to uh, my own genes. Um, so um so i I was more uh, attracted to the option of adoption where I felt like there were already kids in need um, that uh, you know made sense to have families and permanent families rather than have have them have to go through temporary and foster care uh, arrangements um we're gonna get Mr. Kelleher out of here on time. Uh, someone has a quick final question. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, 7908, 7908, if you have a quick final question for Mr. Kelleher. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing your time. Can I be heard? Yep. Okay, great. Uh, well, I definitely disagree with, you know, um, this arrangement, but, you know, it nevertheless is here. I find it ironic that you said your son thinks he's heterosexual, Uh uh, versus, you know, you saying that, you know, he knows he's heterosexual and that you encouraging him to um, adopt that heterosexual lifestyle, and that's just a comment. And my, my question is a simple yes or no. You mentioned earlier that you said sex was between consenting adults, and would that same thing apply in the future if your son does grow up to uh, to find himself a homosexual, that a relationship between you and he would be, con you know, would be considered off limits since he would be an adult and you would, you're an adult, and you guys don't have any blood ties. And I'll listen to your response. And it's just a simple yes or no question. 
Well, I, I would consider that off limits. Yeah, I don't believe in uh, child abuse or pedophilia or anything like that. So the answer would be no. Um, I find it to be, you know, an offensive question because I think there's a lot of assumptions about uh, gay people being sexual predators, and and that's where there's some parallels to to um, when I mentioned there are some parallels to race, just as people who are like black men are thought of as sexual predators. Um, there's a similar stereotype to, to gay people. And uh, I know that those, again, those dynamics are very different from each other. But some of the ways that prejudice and hate operates, there are some parallels. Um, and, uh, and that's an example of it. So I, I do consider the question offensive, and I, I hope that you will give some thought to, uh, to that. Um, but um, I'm not encouraging my son's sexuality in any direction. I'm, I'm encouraging him to become the, per- the beautiful, perfect person that he is, and I will continue to, to love and support his development in every way that I can. Uh, I'm going to uh, stick by what we said. Uh, it is, uh, I think, 4 o'clock your time, uh, Mr. Kelleher. Thank you so much for coming on the program and uh, sharing information. Uh, appreciated the dialogue. I hope folks will go to colorlines.com. You can read more and follow uh, your work. Um, thank you so much. We uh, definitely will uh, keep an eye on what you're w- working on. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. It's been great. Thank you, sir. We'll be in touch. Okay. Bye-bye. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade and Justice. I hope you all are sharing the programs, uh, posting on Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be, we'll be right back, and uh, I'll see if any of the folks that called in, if you have any comments you would like to share. Context of white supremacy. Is racism hurting you? On issues of race, are you unable to speak, think, and act with clarity and confidence? Are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny, smiling when you are not happy, agreeing when you really disagree? Counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas of activity. Using words correctly, following counter-racist logic, even counter-racist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counter-racist suggestions so you can produce the code that works for you. Stop by counterracism.com today and help replace racism with justice. That's counter-racism.com. Our people are very serious about not being very serious. Meanwhile, white people are very serious about playing hardball against us. And this hardball is called genocide. 
context of white supremacy. Thank you. I, I should back up and thank everyone. Thank uh, Back of the Bus for constructing the Facebook page. It has been a very constructive tool for combating racism, white supremacy, uh, and Tater Pie, I attempted to get her uh, on the line, and uh, Skype was not cooperating correctly for her account. Um, but, uh, yeah, she created the other Facebook page, which is facebook.com, R-W-S-W-J. Um, you can just type that in, and it'll take you to um, the other Facebook page. But, um, yeah, this program uh, directly from the Facebook page, um, I believe it is on the one that is linked on the show page for the cows where someone posted an article about uh, Mr. Kelleher. And, uh, yeah, I think they, I don't even know if they recommended or suggested that I attempt to have him on the program, but uh, I definitely uh, definitely thank them for sharing because I didn't know about Mr. Kelleher until I saw that post. And uh, I definitely think it was it was constructive to hear from one of these folks because I feel like we've had all these conversations, Dr. Welsing and other people about homosexuals and so-called homosexuals and them adopting black children. Um, really interesting to get to talk to one of these folks uh, live and in person. Wow, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like he got he got the child right out of the womb. Like whoa, that is crazy. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, anyway, yeah, good suggestion. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find it. Yeah, I see it. I would I would give the person's name out, but uh, I will mispronounce it. Um, yeah, but it was on the on the Facebook page. So now yeah, I hope uh, I hope you all found it constructive. Um, the book that's in the description for people who are listening at Blog Talk Radio. It's titled Hard Lessons. Uh, it is a book uh, about Pedophilia and Racism, White Supremacy. Uh, it is a white male teacher in a uh, tragic arrangement, sexual molestation of one of his non-white female students. Um, I kind of wanted to set a tone for what I wanted people thinking about um, a different uh, victim. Mama Mightywick asked if, uh, you know, if I would have been thinking about pedophilia and, you know, this uh, admitted racist, Mr. Kelleher, um, thinking, you know, this guy uh, is most likely molesting this child. Um, no, I, that thought would have not even crept in my mind. Um, I would have probably looked at you crazy if you had suggested such a thing. Um, even two years ago, and I was informed about racism, white supremacy uh, two years ago. I think even two years ago, maybe not two years ago, maybe three years ago, three years ago, uh, I think I still might have been like, what? That's, you know, you're reaching a little bit. Like, I don't really like these white people, but eh, that's, you know, I don't I don't think so. And, you know, just because he's so-called gay, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, there's a problem or anything, you know, you should, you should be suspicious about. Like, uh, white people have done a really good job social engineering uh, on this sexual confusion. In fact, uh, Mr. Fuller, when when he speaks about it, he he consistently says uh, it's a wrap. This is done deal. White people have pretty much got this uh, on lock at this point. It's taken root, and uh, you know we are we are off and running. Um, I hope it can be correct because I mean this thing can go real bad. But um, yeah, I uh, it's just it's it's mind blowing that uh, you know to just think that a lot of non-white people. I suspect most 
I think it would be true to say most non-white people, most black people, um, they wouldn't, you know, get too upset about this. Um, they they wouldn't, you know, be willing to say, you know, that Mr. Kelleher, I'm I'm real suspicious of him, and you know, this is this is representing the worst of racism, white supremacy. I think most victims wouldn't. Uh, would not take that position and would even get upset with you. I think the gentleman called the program yesterday and said, you know, he would just make true statements and people would get upset and fuss at him on Facebook. I think this is one. If you took that position that this is totally incorrect and this represents, uh, you know, the worst of the worst of racist man and racist woman, they would first line of defense for Mr. Kelleher, admitted racist, would be a lot of victims, my family members included. Um, Justice, did you have any thoughts uh, about what the guest shared on today's program? Yes, I do. But before I go into, um, well, before I share my thoughts, I just wanted to say uh, I stayed up late last night and I went to bed uh, really late. I just wanted just to add on to that. Right on. Um, <laughs> do so, <laughs> okay. Um, um, the sh- uh, he said a multiracial. I I I was going to ask him that, but oh well. And uh, I suspect he was practicing racism uh, when he used the word uh, fair, and he used it four times. I suspect it was either four or five times. Um, you uh, had to uh, keep catching him for uh, saying the word fair, and uh, he was trying to blame that you said something that you did not do. White people uh, do that a whole lot so uh, they can get away with things. But as far as that, uh, I don't have anything else. Thank you. Rest is important. Rest is important. Um, Yeah, Mr. Uh, Kelly, I knew Saya was going to be important. Um, I mean, I I hope people caught that meet my request that he not use the term at the beginning. I hope that stands out, you know, like whoa. He asked him specifically not to say fair, and then he went on and said it, you know, I think five times during the program. Same thing happened with Tim Wise. These are the white people who, you know, tell you I'm against racism, white supremacy, and you know, let's go people of color, and and I'm also rooting for the gay people, gay, gay people, gay rights. These are the same people. And then, you know, they're associating fair with correctness, beauty, even after you request, please stop doing that. They continue to do it. Uh, And, I mean, hey, you can decide for yourself if you think this is just an old habit and they just have a tough time, they've been doing it for a long time, or if you think this is evidence of their dedication to the system of white supremacy. Uh, obviously, I think it's the latter, and I want to be very clear. I think every white person in a cell of white supremacy is racist. Every single, there are no exceptions. That's what it means to be white. The only reason I use the term suspected racist is to not name call, period. Uh that goes for babies, invalids, paraplegics, uh, any other white people you can think of. Yes, reason, explanation, uh, as long as the system of white supremacy exists, if you are white, you are on that team. If you're not able to function, 
Uh, I suspect that when you are able to function, you're going to go back to practicing racism. Uh, And I suspect if you are no longer able to function when you were functioning, you were practicing racism. You're on the team. If you want to think about it using a sports analogy, you want to think football, uh, when a player gets hurt, they're on injured reserve, they're sitting on the bench, they're not active, they're not able to function as an athletic player. However, they're still on the team. They still get all the benefits. They ride the tour bus. You sit on the bench. You are with the team. That's the same way I think of white people, and it's just about being strategic. I'm not interested in making space for any white person to not be racist. This is terrorism against non-white people. We need to make a very clear distinction about white people, and it's based on logic. There have been tons of white people who have come on this program and have given a very clear explanation as to why that is. Uh, I would start with Jacqueline Battalora, outstanding program uh, back in May. Not that I did anything. She just she has great information. And, I mean, direct from the source. She's an admitted racist white supremacist, too. Jacqueline Battalora, May 2010. Uh, with that, please invest uh, in the program. Uh, would be super helpful. Links are below in the description. I got my uh, one-year subscription on Skype with the world account. I can now dial 40 different countries. So we will be seeing to get folks from all over the planet uh, on the context of white people. Uh, <clears throat> not interestingly, uh, but I mean a matter of routine in the system of white supremacy, none of the 40 countries that I can now call anytime uh, are on the continent of Africa. Double whammy. That said, we're still going to work around it, and uh, I'm real excited uh, about making the program more global. And uh, all of the U.K. listeners, it now got much easier to get you on the program. If you have a Skype account, that would be great. If you don't, no worries. I can dial your phone. So uh, just let me know. Uh, Ross43, no excuses now. If you got a phone, you can be on the program. Any of the other folks, um, love to get more of the folks who are listening uh, in the U.K. Now I can explore and see if these are non-white people listening out there or if these are just racists who are listening from other parts of the planet. So, uh, yeah, looking to uh, really get into the global nature of racism, white supremacy. Uh, with that said, as I said, invest and uh, justice. I forgot to get her email and blog out yesterday, so we'll make sure to do it twice I'll say it once, and then I'll go to her to get her to do it before the program ends. The email is justice.asap at yahoo.com, justice.asap at yahoo.com, and the blog justdojusticetoday.blogspot.com. Again, justdojusticetoday.blogspot.com. Dot com. She also appreciates investments at her blog. Um, people that called in with a hand up, your line is uh, your lines are open. Folks who called in who have uh, hands up, <clears throat> and if you called in and you didn't speak before and you want to say anything now, press one and uh, I can get your line open. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, it's always nice to know that I'm uh, 
what is what is the word he used? Um, available or we were the little black children was more available. <clears throat> and I do like the uh, the question that piggybacked uh, right behind mine with the uh, with the brother asked him uh, if he were to have uh, would it be okay to have sexual contact uh, or is it off limits? I thought that was a pertinent question. He got offended, but obviously he he must not pay attention to the news sources. But I thought it was a very pertinent question. Very good question. Can I get it? Can I be heard, please? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Gus and Justice. What what was troubling? Two things that stood out for me on this interview. One was at one was when he said that this child looked at his mother as an aunt, but his sister, Mr. T- Mr. Keller's sister, as his mother. This white woman is he's looked the child is looked at as a mother figure, but his own mother that birthed him is not looked upon as a mother. And when he said he was not attracted to his own gene, when the, when the other caller asked him, well, why didn't he want to use his own sperm to get um to have a child? He was not attracted to his own gene to give birth. So what's wrong with your gene that you did not want to use it in order to reproduce life? You want to have a life. You want to be a father. Why do you want to come out here and take a black child and, and damage this child and not use your own gene? That's why. That's why I said it. The question that piggybacked behind that was, uh, you know, when the kid grows up and becomes an adult and uh, be able to make choices, uh, you know, would it be okay? That's a that's a great question. Uh, obviously, that the Woody Woody whatever his name is uh, thought it was okay. Why wouldn't he? It's uh, a great question. So if you have no ties, if you have no ties Correct. to it being your child, you know, somebody else's child, mm-hmm. then it's it's an easier decision for him. That's that's why I asked that question. I was setting him up, but my man, uh, <laughs> I didn't shut realize how much time he Yeah, he, he, he really, he shot his, he, he made a three-pointer on that one. That was a good one. You know, another thing that was, was interesting is when uh you asked when he was asked that question and he, he said he got offended, he, <laughs> yeah. he came back with he came back with uh uh something racial, something about uh comparing racial. So was he trying to be on the offensive? And if he was, why did he use race immediately to go on the offensive? So I think that was kinda interesting as well. So race is always the flash card that they always pull out whenever they want to get out of a situation. They throw that up as a smoke screen to get you off of your game so that they can come up with something else different. Why you know, these people have their slick when it comes to words, metaphors. They use throw out these false pairings to get you off your game and that this is why I'm so glad for Gus there because he's so calm. His voice never changes. He doesn't get hostile. He doesn't raise his voice. He just be, he's just very firm with his questioning, and that's what throws white people off because they know before we would get tend to get upset 
use profanities and raise our voices and whatever, but in this case, they don't have that out. They could either hang up the phone and leave or, like most guests do, they always, all of a sudden they have an appointment they need to go to when the questions get a bit more uncomfortable. Yeah, I think he had a double meaning, though, when he used that, that, that comparison. I think also he used it, one, as a red herring and also to try to uh, – to try to be offensive. So I think he had like a double meaning when he used that. Can, can, can I be honest? Uh, yes. Can really? I um, One thing that stood out to me particularly about this individual is he said that sex is between two consenting adults, but he referenced his black male partner as his boyfriend. And it's rather interesting when you listen to the language of some folks when they refer to black men as boyfriends as opposed to a man. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been noticing this particularly, it, it's a consistent thing in society in general where grown men are referred to as boyfriends. And another thing that stood out to me is he had that ready example of his parents introducing Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King almost as if, and then his sister is, is uh, married to a black male as well. And that strikes me as this seems to be a family that uses uh, black people as a shield in order to gain access to uh, positions where people can now look at them as the nice white liberal family. Yeah, trust. Position of trust is what they're trying to get to. Yeah, that's why, that's why I asked him. How come he didn't use his own seed uh, to get that across? You know, take care of your own child, go through the trouble of feeding the woman, take care of the woman, to have your child, and then separate it. It seemed like it was inconvenient for him to do that. he just rather stop by the store, pick up a black child, and, hey, we're on my way. And it was also interesting that he pointed out that and he repeated it, that there was no compensation granted to the black mother. So the compensation was granted to whatever adoption apparatus. So it, it almost seemed as if that was an auction block. He would rather pay them a fee than this black woman, who he clearly indicated had a number of other children and was not in a financial position to take on the responsibility of another child. And it would seem that the very least he could have done is help her in her financial distress. Correct. And obviously she was a drug user, don't you think? There had to be some drug or alcohol involved because what normal black woman would give birth to her child and turn it over to a white homosexual? I don't care how crazy I am. I wouldn't do that. I meant to ask you that question. Did she know you was a homosexual? Can I be heard? Yeah, the first question that I asked him was, um, do you think your adopted son will grow up to be white identified or succumb to white identification? I don't, in my opinion, I don't think he answered the question um, truthfully because, you know, he admitted on the program that he was a racist. So how, I mean, he adopted this child when he was uh, a newborn. Um there's no way in the world that um, 
he's not going to grow up being um, identified with whiteness. I mean, the man admitted that he was a racist. So You're right. And when Gus asked if the child could come on the program, he said he takes the child to rallies. The child knows the difference between transgender, um, homosexual, heterosexual. But yet still he would not let Gus question the child about uh, racism, white supremacy, which is going to be very, very important in this child's life. He didn't want this child to be exposed to this type of questioning. Can I be heard? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. It just seems like he's, you know, like, back for echo somewhere. It seems like uh, they're trying to build up allies. So, of course, he wouldn't want him to come on a show that's going to, you know, reveal to him, you know, how... Uh, racist man and racist woman have used homosexuality, and I, and I just found it ironic that he, you know, and I wanted to ask him a question about when he said he think his son thinks that he's gay, and I mean he thinks that he's straight, and I and I and, you know I bet you uh, you know ninety nine cents to to a dollar that when he was he could he would probably tell you that he knew he was gay, you know, as a little boy, you know, like most homosexuals do. So the irony in the fact that he would say his son thinks that he's straight, you know, just kind of uh, threw me off. But it, it definitely seems like, you know, this is uh, just something eerie about his this whole conversation with him, mm-hmm. you know, that just didn't sit right, you know, that this that he's definitely, uh, you know, setting this, this child up for a stream life of confusion. And, uh, yeah, I, he, was I born, he said he was born that way at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I I'm standing here in New York City in Greenwich Village, and I'm looking at two white males holding the hand of approximately a seven or eight year old black child crossing the street. I think that's rather interesting. Pretty interesting. What I think is that this is which is why I asked him because your sexuality influences your child, whether or not the child might be curious to say, "Okay, my daddy does this with his partner. Let me try and see if I might like it." Going through his sexual experimentation, so this child could go through that when it, when he reaches puberty to try and have sex with another male. So it's a very dangerous lifestyle, and I find it to be very very improper that this mother would turn over her child to this white man, a homosexual, to be raised a black boy, a highly melanated black child at that. Yeah. I wanted to make sure uh that uh that just echoing on uh him him having family members, suspected racist family members who are engaging in sexual intercourse with non white people when Pam was on the program earlier this week, and I said that I think a strategy of racist man and racist woman engaging in sexual intercourse, it was about um, white people, so-called wiggers, white people who act like black people. Uh, that's what I'm told, um, that, you know, these people engaging in sexual intercourse with non-white people uh, is so that they can give the appearance, can confuse people, even themselves, into believing that they're not racist. I'm hearing some noise in the background. If you could mute your line, that would be helpful. Thank you. 
Um, but yeah, to confuse people into thinking that they are not racist because they're having sex with non-white people. Uh, and I said, I, you see examples of this in films. I think that plays out. I'm still hearing background noise. Um, if you could mute your line, that would be helpful. It just really uh, it reduces the quality of the program. Um, but yeah, he uh, in the film, the uh, Monsters Ball. I think that's the whole symbolism of the film. Um, Billy Bob Thornton's character. Um, <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton's character. He is not racist by the end of the film. He names the uh, station after his non-white female partner, and uh, he has, you know, he has made the transformation. And I think that plays out often uh, with white people. And I think with his family um, being sexually engaged with non-white people, I think that's the same thing, um, you know, to convince, hey, we're not racist. I got a non-white child, and, uh, <laughs> you know, we're definitely not racist here. Uh, I also wanted to echo the eeriness. Um, man, I felt like Jeffrey Dahmer was on the line at times. Um, I mean, it just really gave that feeling. Uh, some of the things that he said, um, just even the photographs. Like, uh, just, I felt like it was a really calm Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, he didn't get upset about anything. Um, he didn't, you know, raise his voice. He never got agitated, no matter what was said. Tone never changed. It totally felt like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, <laughs> who, who also was engaged in sodomizing young black males. Um, just really gave that opinion, and I hope people uh, do that research on Jeffrey Dahmer. We're going to try and make that program happen and get one of the people who did a biography of him on the program. But it, it just really gave that that feeling uh, throughout the program. And uh, I hope people I hope people think about that. Even, folks, if you're a little more confused and you're thinking you're crazy, Gus, this is a good white guy. Uh, this good white guy works for a national racial justice think tank. I mean, <laughs> I just feel like this is a really dangerous white person, not just, you know, some low-level uh, racist. I feel like this is a really dangerous white person, admitted homosexual and a member. Excuse me, he to get his correct title, uh, he is the director of the Midwest Office of the Applied Research Center, a national racial justice think tank. I just wanted to make that clear, and I will uh, I will hush now. I close the mics because that's really irritating uh, just to me on a lot of levels when I, there's a lot of background noise and music is playing and the television is on, people are doing dishes. Uh, it's just really irritating. It, it uh, It's difficult for me to maintain my train of thought at times and just from a uh, broadcast perspective, it really disrupts the quality of the program uh, to have people listening in and all that background noise is coming in. Um, so if you could please respect the program. If you're in a noisy area, no problem. Just use your mute button uh, when you're not speaking, when you want to talk. You know, make sure you're in a quiet area. Say what you want to say, and then if you can use your mute button, that is super helpful. Thank you, and I'm opening everybody's line back up. Gus, you was right when you said he looked, um, remind you of someone who is sick. And like Pam said in her broadcast about there's something defective about these people, their gene pool or something is off with them. 
because looking at this man, there seemed to be something slightly off with him. And I could almost, I'm almost sure that his sister's husband is a highly melanated non-white person. And it seems that they're trying to regenerate their gene pool because if he said he was not attracted to his own gene, it tells you something, that he knows that there's something wrong with his gene. Why isn't it that he doesn't want to use his own gene? His sister married someone outside of her gene pool. Can I be heard? Hello? Can, yeah, I'm can I be heard? Hello? Are you, can you hear me? Because it's kind of quiet. Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Right. Can I be heard? I can, I can hear you guys, too. Okay, good deal. I, I just wanted to get in real quick. Um, interesting that um, you know he after having, even after pumping this uh, young victim with confusion uh, for since birth for six years, even after that, and like Gus just said, he seems to be a uh, high level refined racist. Um, but even after six years of direct confusing a victim, um, even though, even from like a parental role. He was still concerned or didn't even want to do, didn't want to have, uh, he was concerned of, of what the effect of correct and accurate information about racism and white supremacy would have on, um, on, on the, on the, on the uh, child. Um, so that's, that's uh, encouraging uh, for me because it seems even, uh, you know, even after six years of having direct exposure to um, confusing information from a racist, uh, they're still concerned that, you know, all that can go out the window uh, with some accurate information um, about racism and white supremacy. So, um, you know, sounds like, you know, keep on doing the correct thing, Gus and Justice, uh, getting the correct information out there for for, uh, for people to hear. Um, I I would be curious to see, you know, at what age, you know, I, you know maybe if the, uh, I, don't, I don't know, did the uh, did he state his uh, adopted, the, the child that he removed, did he did he state his name, the child's name? No. Okay. It'd be interesting. Um, you know, I could see maybe around uh, another four years, five years, or something like that, if we're still in a crummy system of white supremacy, that then a, a, a racist such as uh, you know the administration does on the show might say, yeah, you know, I, I feel pretty comfortable that the confusion is uh, entwined enough to where you know I don't care who he talks to, he's not gonna be able to get clear at this point, you know. So. I thought I, I thought that was interesting. Do you know uh, Gus? Can I be heard? Yes. Sir. Okay. Um, do you know what uh, a racial uh, racial justice is at all? I do not. Uh, racial justice, social justice. Um, people people have a tendency to attach other terms to the word justice, which I think uh, calls or adds, creates confusion. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't use that term. I just stick to justice. I, didn't, I don't have uh, any thought in my mind that Mr. Uh, Kelleher is about justice in any way, shape, or form. So I didn't even need his, uh, his definition for that. Yeah, we should have asked him. Uh, I'm sorry, can, we, can I be heard? Yes. Yes, sir. You should ask him. I should ask him also if uh, if he uh, takes his son to a gay pride uh, meetings as well. Mm, that would have been interesting. Would have been interesting. Um, if for the uh, website, I mean for the game that I told you, 
that I that I shared yesterday. Um, wait, uh, when when was the last show? Yesterday. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The game that I uh, shared yesterday. Um. I probably will not be able to send it to uh any of the and any of uh you guys because um it's a school website and so. Like, uh, I was looking it up yesterday. It showed uh, different uh, pictures and, like, uh, different websites, but I didn't show the actual game that I was talking about. So. I thought it was interesting as well. He has uh, an article, Mr. Kelleher. He has an article that is relating uh, so-called homosexuality and uh, what is called gay rights with uh, the so-called civil rights movement, and he has a quote from uh, Julian Bond, um, <laughs> where Julian Bond uh, is comparing racism, white supremacy to homosexuality. Julian Bond. Yeah, I'm going and, to uh, I was about to remind you. <laughs> uh, I know Julian Bond, uh, you know, but uh, not that that means anything. Another another victim on the plantation. Just uh, yeah. even when I was. He, uh, even when I was confused about white supremacy, he um, that stood out to me as something was uh, suspicious or potentially incorrect about him uh, having sex with a white person. But he has this article where he uh, is quoting from a Julian Bond speech where he's saying that, you know, uh, so-called homosexuality is a uh, really important issue and, you know, so-called gay rights. Uh, it's just like civil rights and it's all incorrect and it's all the same thing. Um, let's see if I can if I can pull it up. If there are any uh, interesting tidbits I can share. Um, I heard that article before on a radio show here in Atlanta from that same Julian Bond. You see, that's the whole idea with the civil rights movement was why these people they funded the movement because they know further down the line that this is going to be what is going to be the ultimate outcome that the gay rights movement was going to become a part of it. Now they have all of these confused non-white people believing that this is a civil right. This is not anything to do with with civil rights because we have no concept of the color of skin that you're going to be born into. These people make a choice. It's like if I make a choice to rob a store, I have self-control over what I do. And if I choose to involve myself in a homosexual relationship, then that is the choice I made. It has absolutely nothing to do with a person's color of skin. I have the uh, report here. Um, it's uh, He's quoting directly from a speech that uh, Julian Bond gave. This is uh, on the colorlines.com website. This is from uh, in Black History Month, no less. This is from February 19, 2008. Uh, NAACP chairman Julian Bond. Uh, he's not the chairman currently, I do not believe. Uh, in a recent keynote address, 
at the 20th National Conference on LGBT equality. They don't have the I. And <laughs> I know some of them are LGBTQI and, and all that. They just got LGBT uh, equality, creating change in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Mr. Bond stated, uh, I believe gay rights are civil rights. I'm, I'm scrolling down, uh, skipping through some of what he said. Uh, and he says, uh, for some, comparisons between the African-American civil rights movement and the movement for gay and lesbian rights seem to diminish the long black historical struggle with all its suffering, sacrifices, and endless toil. However, people of color ought to be flattered that our movement has provided so much inspiration for others, that it has been so widely imitated, and that our tactics, methods, heroines and heroes, even our songs, have been appropriated by or served as models for others. No parallel between movements or rights is exact. African Americans are the only Americans who were enslaved for more than two centuries, and people of color carry the badge of who we are on our faces. But we are far from the only people suffering discrimination. Sadly, so do many others. They deserve the law's protection and civil rights, too. Uh, they go on to say Mr. Bond uh, was proud to remind them that the NAACP shall pursue all legal and constitutional means to support non-discriminatory policies and practices against persons based on race, gender, sexual orientation, nationality, or cultural background. I would assert that, number one, in a system of white supremacy, it is very easy for white people to uh, just tell a victim, uh, go out there and read this. <laughs> We've already wrote it up. Just go out and read it. Don't change a period. Read it exactly the way it is. Um, I, I would not be surprised at all uh, for certain non-white people. That might be one of their responsibilities. That could be possible. And I would also assert that, Sexual intercourse with white people, when you are white engaged, Julian Bond is married to a suspected racist. When you are white identified, you tend to be approving of, accepting of homosexual behavior. Uh, I think there is a strong link between the two. Being white identified, uh, accepting of homosexuality is a huge aspect of being white identified. It's just a core aspect of their culture, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll continue to uh, hammer that point home uh, with the program. Um, yeah, I'll hush anybody else if you all had comments. Has anyone ever seen the, the movie Adopted with Polly Shore? I have not. I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I'm sitting here right now just relaxing, and I just happen to be thumbing through the pro through the programs. And it's uh, let me see here. <clears throat> it's called Adopted. Uh, if you, I guess if you have Showtime, I don't know if it comes back on or what. But it's about 
Polly Shore going to Africa and adopting a black uh, a black boy. And that's quite uh, quite interesting that we just had this conversation uh, with this individual, and then this particular, you know, then just watching this particular program, how uh, this it appears that. <clears throat> This child is more like a uh, piece of property. Exotic animal. Exactly. I mean, you just have to watch it. I mean, I, I've never seen it before, but I mean, I'm hopefully uh, I'm looking forward to it coming on again because I won't be able to finish watching it. But uh, I think we ought to watch this movie or this documentary or whatever it is. But it's called Adopted with Paulie Shore, and he's uh, he's got him a a black woman on his side from Africa. She's an African with straight hair and, you know, um, highlights on her on her eyebrows. You know, she's in, you know, colors in her hair. So I think uh, it would be an interesting watch uh, to uh, kind of follow up uh, with today's, today's guest. And I, I think I'm going to go rent it if I don't get a chance to see it again on, on television. It is all about these white people. We have Madonna, we have Angelina Jolie, Tom Cruise, all of these so-called Hollywood types who have adopted these black children. And the mainstream Americans, they believe that, okay, oh, they're getting a good home, they're going to be well taken care of and whatever. But there is something wrong with this picture because, to me, you could have, these children could have remained in their circumstances with their family, and you could have sent money over there every month to take care, to pull the family up from whatever situation they are in and let that child remain there because you know there are certain cultural, so-called cultural aspects and identity that you are not going to be able to give this child because if your intent was for this child to be raised as a black person or whatever ethnicity they are, then that's what you would do. But these children will always adopt to whatever parent it is that are raising them. And if the parent is white, then that's the identity they will assume. Man, I don't mean, I don't mean it. He just, he just examined the boy's teeth like he was a horse. You know, put his hands in his mouth and you know, looked at his teeth. I, I got on the movie? Yes, I mean, yeah, you got to go get it on this. Is document. it a comedy? I don't know what it is. It must be a comedy. I got the normally makes a comedy movie. Well, it's not. It's not a movie. I mean, it's not. A, they don't have lines or anything. It's like a documentary. What channel is it on? One of those, um, like TLC or Discovery. I think this is like Borat. Um, I think it's probably set up like Borat because it's listed as a comedy. It's not listed as a documentary. So okay. I think this is probably like a movie that they have made it look like it's a documentary. But, I mean, this okay. is just, you know, white people just, you know, doing their silly doing thing. Their thing. The ta- yes. The tagline for the film says uh, for hundreds of – and this came out in 2009, 2009. Uh, the tagline for the film is for hundreds of years – Africa has existed in a state of despair. Famine, civil wars, and rampant disease 
have left the continent without hope. Wow, the entire continent without hope. Uh, but for the efforts of Western do-gooders, white people. At first, they arrived with food, Bibles, and the magic of penicillin. More recently, they have hosted rock concerts and sent plane loads of grain. And in the last decade of the 20th century, they arrived and took babies home with them. First, there was Angelina, then Madonna, and now Pauly Shore. The film builds its comedy foundation on the international interest in celebrity adoptions and the debate that surrounds these transactions on both sides of the Atlantic. Sometimes politically incorrect and never scared to tread on manicured toes. This was written by Pauly Shore himself. Um, yeah, came out in 2000, 2009. And he act real feminine too, like in a lot of his movies. I, I thought he was, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna watch it. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot to be learned from it. Uh, being that he's a so-called Hollywood insider or whatever, but I'm interested in now that I'm watching, even though it is somewhat of a a comedy set in a documentary format. I think there's gonna be a lot of truth in it. It's got the, the movie poster for the film, and it's got Paulie Shore holding two. Looks like a male and a female, um, but they're both uh, crying. And I don't know if it's just my picture or if it looks kind of fuzzy maybe, but I think white people did it on purpose. It looks like the female in the picture, the, the young girl, uh, like one of her hands might be have been removed or something, you know, like it got chopped off or something like this, you know. That's, that could just be my my fuzzy picture. I don't know. Yeah, reminiscent of uh, what's his name, Leopold, King Leopold, the Congo. Yes, sir. And that these, you know, I, I, they have a street named after him in the Congo, don't they? I'm sure they do. And they have a Leopoldville or something like that. And they have a Leopoldville. Yeah. Well, I'm going to watch this documentary anyway. I'm going to go rent it. I mean, it's, it's comedy. Just because of today's show. I'm going to watch it, too. Robert said on the Augusta show when she was on about a year ago, when she said that, Black children are the ones that's funding these adoption agencies as well as the child welfare system because most of these children that go into the program and they do not have any hopes of ever adopting these children out, so they stay in there and they have to age out of these programs. So now that the gays are getting a foothold, the gays and the lesbians, they are allowing them access to these children. Normal fostering that you, that myself and anyone else might want to get involved and do, they don't let um, non-whites get involved with the foster program. They try to discourage you from becoming a part of that program. But they always encourage whites to come in because the G, um, the pool for white children is is slim to none. Yeah, and the reason Speaking. I asked them the question, I did. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jess. Speaking of uh, movies, uh, I rented a. Uh, I've uh, rented Life Size. 
And uh, when I watch, I'm going to pick out the racism in it. What is that movie called again? Life Size. Okay. Is it a kids? Is it a kids movie? It was made by Disney. Uh, yes, I suspect that a white people made it for children. Yeah. That's and, about uh, dolls, right? Talking... I'm sorry. Is it about the dolls that um life size yeah. dolls? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. Okay. Okay. I might Wait, rent what that. Show? Uh... What show was that on, Gus? It was on the Assassin Show, the one that Gus had on. Yeah. Yeah. That one. We need to do a, a show, Gus, about Walt Disney and the programming that these shows that the Disney Channel is doing to children. If you would like to take on that challenge, because people plop their children down in front of the television and watch all of these Disney shows, and they don't know of the subliminal messages that's being passed to these children. I know one of the results. The results will be your daughter or son, particularly your daughter, will be interested in uh, dating white people. <laughs> if you pop them down in front of the TV uh, for long enough years, the, the the result will be, especially if they're mm-hmm. watching Disney's and all that, the result white will be, identified. hey, I'm putting, I'm, putting, I'm putting Twilight on my wall. I want the white guys or whatever. I mean, that's, that's, that's going to be almost inevitable. Your sons, too, I suspect. Yeah. I suspect. Oh, my right. God. I feel you. I feel you. God, I can... Say it's true. I used to be a biggest yep. collector of Disney movies when they came out on DVDs. I used to buy them and collect them for my nieces and nephews when they come over for them to watch. I've discontinued doing that. Yeah, and the reason I asked him that question about the uh, the financial part of the adoption, because I've heard that those adoptions could, could run you thousands of dollars. So yeah, I would suspect you'd have to be, uh, you know, pretty well off to, to even get involved in that process. National Racial Justice Think Tank. which is probably along the same line of what a Timothy Wise is doing, except they're trying to say that they're trying to perfect racial justice for people of color, when most of the time all they do is just sit around and they talk and don't do anything else but talk. And I, a couple of my friends, Gus, we listened to your last broadcast that you had with Tim Wise, and we were falling out. When he said he was ready, threatened to leave the first time he came on the last show, and then you told him, well, if you want to leave, you can leave. Don't threaten to leave. Just just hang up. And then he said, oh, okay, I'm going to leave you with your 13 callers. I guess 13 is supposed to be an unlucky number when he made the mention 13. I suspect with that. I suspect with that think tank, they're probably sitting around uh, trying to figure out how to practice a more refined version of racism. How can we get pregnant black females to give us their children? Yep. <laughs> uh, reminiscent of uh, kind of like eugenics, huh? 
no oh, doubt. Make sure I ask too. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. No, I was just saying, no doubt, this is a part of the plan. Since you can't, uh, since you can't raise them, we will, and uh, eventually, you know, sterilize you. But go ahead, Gus. I'm sorry. I just since eugenics came up, I was going to ask if, if I was the only one who thought that was of interest. Um, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. receiving the uh, Margaret Sanger Award from Planned Parenthood, um, or was I just, you know, crazy on that? No, I suspected that same thing. He didn't know, and like I said, his niece is out here in Atlanta. She is big on this eugenics movement. She's against it, and she's always on all the Fox News and everything else. Alveda King protesting against the abortions and the, all the different things that she's out here doing. Was she the one that was involved with the uh, Tea Party thing as well? That's, that's her. Uh, what do you, I think white people, uh, they give awards, like I think you said it, they give awards, when they give awards to black people, it's, for per- it's because that non-white person has done something helpful for the white team whether they were conscious of it or not conscious of it. But the result was, yep, that person helped us out. Let's, uh, you know, show them our appreciation and to encourage other non-white people to do stuff to help us out. Mm-hmm. Look at that doctor that they had on the news in Philadelphia, the one that they shut down his abortion clinic, that they have, up, have him up on charges for performing abortions without proper license, having all of the body parts strewn all over the, the places, and what makes it so refined, Gus, is that they said that he had a room for white patients that were clean and sanitized so that they would not complain to authorities. But the, the rooms where the non-whites were being treated, it was a pigsty, it was a slaughterhouse. Wow. I mean, who better to give that award to at that time? You know, to... to uh, and what did, was, isn't it known that they did pay off preachers? Yep. So I mean, who better to give it to than than Dr. King to legitimize yourself in the black community? I kind of came in late. What did he do specifically to uh, to receive that award? They didn't really offer an explanation uh, on the websites that I looked at as to why they selected him. They talked about some of the past recipients of the award. But it was not, or at least it wasn't made clear to me um, what he was doing. That you know, they felt, yeah, we're going to give this to uh, to this guy. You probably don't even have to do anything. They just want to give it to a prominent figure to let the black community know that hey, we have Dr. King, this well-known civil rights first. We are giving him this award to get the others in line. This was in '66. By the way, I believe '66 was the year of the uh, Watts riot in uh, in LA. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, that's that's significant. The timing of of when he got the award, and I think at that point he had already been speaking publicly against uh, Vietnam. Um, we uh, we got like 60 seconds left. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Brother Polite will be on the program again. Showtime 9 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh- okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.